0: Thanks to everybody who listened and submitted feedback on last week's episode, part one of my chat with Graham Townsend. Now I know you're thinking, I I don't need to know anything else about Graham Townsend. Well, you're wrong. Because, wait, there's more. Here's part two with Graham. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles: The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. So I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope that uh, if you wanted to have an isolated Thanksgiving, that you did, and I hope that if you wanted to have a larger scale Thanksgiving, that you did also. It's not for me to judge, and uh, I hope whatever you decided to do, you had a wonderful time. I know personally, uh, while I didn't watch much football. Uh it was nice to see the Redskins beat the Cowboys. It's always nice when the Cowboys lose. I mean, let's face it. Unless you're a Cowboys fan, but um you know, Redskins uh Redskins took care of them and uh, that was nice and I the Lions played Houston, I think. I think Houston won, but um we spent it just the four of us. We we ate some good food, we watched some movies, and uh it was just a wonderful day. Uh just a relaxed day. There's uh, very few days now where the four of us Are actually together and someone's not working or going to school or anything like that so the fact that the four of us didn't have anything planned that day and we could just kind of veg out and enjoy each other's company and like i said watch some movies eat some food it was uh it was a wonderful day for me and and uh, i hope that uh you people had a good thanksgiving also so um let's get right down to it shall we this is episode 40 Part two of episode 40, and this is where uh, I may have shortchanged myself because this is probably episode like 52 or 53, but because the multiple part episodes, I I didn't make make them individual numbered episodes. Easy for me to say, right? Um, I'm only up to number 40, but I think this is actually like the fifty second or fifty third episode. But let's keep it as is. You know, I've uh I'm uh I am ai do not like change. So this is part two of episode forty, my chat with Graham townsend and um the feedback on episode one was unbelievable. Uh I knew you kinda know when you're talking to someone um what kind of what kind of feedback you're gonna get. And uh I, you know, I've been fortunate, like like um, you know, Darren says a fourth line voice about my show and Alex show and his show are the mom and pop shops of the uh, podcast world. We don't have the numbers or the following of uh, the big boys and that's fine with me. And, um, I know that, uh, there, there's a, a group of you out there that really enjoy the, uh, the content that I bring. And, and, uh, I knew when I was speaking to Graham that this was going to be a hit. Um, he's just, he was an unbelievable guest. And, um, you know, I think this is probably the first show that he's done. I don't know if it's the first show he's ever done. Probably not. But um, I think he's going to be on a lot more in the near future on a lot more shows. And uh, and uh, definitely, uh, regardless of the show, regardless whether you listen or not, if you see Graham is uh, appearing on any podcast, definitely make sure to tune in because I know I will. So this is part two. And, uh, I think that, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I know I did. So, uh, stay tuned for that. Just let's get a few things out of the way first, uh, whichever platform you are listening to this on is that, whichever platform We're, yeah, well, whatever, however you're listening to this, please subscribe to the show. And if you could like rate and review the show also, uh, helps it out, helps grow the show um, slow and steady wins the race, right? I mean, uh, I don't have the, uh, I, like I said, I don't have the following of some of the bigger names. I don't have a name, uh, in the industry, whatever. And that's, like I said, that's fine with me. But of course, uh, I'd like more people to listen. Uh, no matter, no matter how many people listen, I always want one more, right? You always want, you always want more, I guess. But, uh, but it's re- and again, it's not really for me. It's because of the amazing stories that these guys tell. So, uh, if you could subscribe, like, rate, and review the show, uh, it will help. Uh, it'll help grow the show. So uh, I appreciate that. If you could take a minute to do that, that'd be great. If you're on Twitter, as you know, if you're a listener, I have two Twitter handles: at Joe underscore Lazito, which is my personal Twitter, and at Kali Sinbin Pod. So uh, check those out on Twitter hit that uh, follow button i will follow you back and um nothing too serious on either one of those uh the uh the the podcast account excuse me god my eggs are scrambled today uh the podcast account has uh, islander content islander birthdays islander fight pictures uh i've been posting some retro well i guess i'm not retro they are vintage pictures of myself from, uh, the nineties with uh, various enforcers, um, back when I would buy those little, uh, disposable cameras and, uh, you know, I stumbled across, uh, an envelope of these, these photos in there. Yeah. I have awesome hair in there. So, uh, if you like that stuff, definitely, uh, that, that stuff, that's the kind of stuff you'll see on the, uh, on the podcast, uh, Twitter and not on my regular Twitter. It's really not much beyond sports. Uh nothing like I said, it's it's all pretty lighthearted stuff. You're not gonna get a lot of the nonsense you get on probably a lot of your other friends uh uh social media. Similarly, uh to the Twitter account for the show, Facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast and Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. So I know not everybody is on all these platforms, so whichever platform you're on, or if you are on all of them, please give it a follow or uh, I don't know what do you, what do you I guess it's follow and uh, and I'll follow you back. Um, if you have a page on Facebook that you want me to like, like my page, I'll like yours back in return. You know, there's enough goodness to go around, so let's uh, let's try to help each other out. You know, um, I forgot to say what I normally say. If this is your first time joining me, welcome. Actually, if this is your first time please go back to the last episode, listen to part one with Graham, and then come back and listen to this. Uh, and then when you're done with that, go back into the, uh, into the archives and check out my previous episodes. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. If you're here, you're here for a reason. So you probably will enjoy the uh, past episodes as well. And if you are returning, welcome back. Happy to have you back here. When you go on my social media, you will see that I do have merchandise available with my uh, logo, which I love. I'm staring at it right now. I have a giant flag hanging in the room here with my logo on it. And no, I'm not an egomaniac. I really didn't pay attention to the dimensions when I ordered it. I thought I was ordering something about 20% of the size of this, but uh, it's not too bad. Anyway, the logo is pretty great. It is teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen Chronicles hyphen Merch. And, uh, or scroll down to the bottom of this episode description, and there is a direct link to the merchandise store where you can get all your Coliseum Chronicles merchandise for the holidays. I do every week, I give a listener exclusive discount. This week's discount, 20% off everything in the store. The code is JIGS, J I G G S. And if you're an Islanders fan, I did not need to spell that for you. And I'll, tell you why uh the code this week is jigs in a few moments but uh 20% off everything in the store i guess uh this is cyber monday or shop small shop local so um you know, logo is pretty awesome. Your kids will like it. If you're a fan of the show, I shouldn't have said fan of the show. I don't like that. I just, uh, like to have friends fan. I don't know. It just sounds weird to me, but, uh, definitely if you, uh, if you purchase something, that would be great. Uh, any way to promote the show is, uh, I appreciate it. And like I said, the logo is awesome. The logo, I wouldn't be touting this logo if it was something I drew although if i could draw like this maybe i would i don't know this is uh pretty insane joe marisic he is a local long island artist you can reach joe at graphics joker on twitter or at loudegg.com joe as i say every week is insanely talented this is uh once you get to be a certain age um i guess when you're younger maybe you're envious and then once you get to be a certain age you're just like I don't think I don't think you're envious anymore I think you just really start appreciating things and uh, I don't exactly remember when that started for me but when I see people like Joe and the stuff that that they create it is just unbelievable to me like I do I wish I could draw like this yeah fuck that'd be amazing to be able to do something like this but I'm not envious of it I could just sit back and appreciate how talented this man is and uh Please, if you have any sort of project, I know the holidays are coming. I don't know what kind of schedule he is, but if you have any sort of project that you'd like uh, personalized for someone that you love, definitely hit up Joe because the t- artistic genius is uh, putting it lightly. Definitely hit Joe up. I'm sure if he can make it happen, he will for your holiday uh, presents for your loved ones. So, Graphics Joker on Twitter, loudegg.com. Well, as we all know, this past Thursday was Thanksgiving. And if you're like me, You stuffed your face, and if you're like me, you don't need it to be Thanksgiving to do that either, but if you are looking to shed some of those Thanksgiving pounds, and as you know, the upcoming weeks, you are going to eat a lot of crap with the holidays coming up, the best way to get in shape if you live on Long Island or in one of the surrounding boroughs, Belmore Kickboxing and MMA. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA is Long Island's premier mixed martial arts gym. They're open seven days a week. They have classes for men, for women, for kids. Private sessions are also available. Professional fighters like John Volante, Gregor Gillespie, Andre Harrison, Chris Algieri, Adam Kownacki train there, and hundreds of people, regular joes like myself, have walked through those doors. It's it's such a great environment. It's it's a place. It's a real life environment. You know, it's no. There's no pretense there, and. uh It's just a fun time. It makes you want to go back there. It makes you want to go work out. It makes you want to get in shape. The gym is located at 2551 Merrick Road in Belmore. Phone number is 516-679-5997. The website is belmorekickboxingmma.com. When you contact them, please ask for Keith Trimble. Keith is the best trainer in the business. Keith is a good friend of mine. Uh, I mean, really, he's just, he's a great guy. He really is. He's just an old school guy. And, um, you know, he cares about his clients. He cares about his friends. You cannot go wrong training with Keith. And, um, he's, he's one of the owners. So, uh, he has a vested interest in you and your fitness and, um, you know, it's his, it's his business on the line. So he, he cares about you. So definitely ask for Keith Mention that you heard about the gym on the show and you will get one free class for yourself or your kid or your loved one or whatever it doesn't matter reach out to them tell them you heard about the gym on the show tell them that you'd like to get your free class and then keith will take it from there belmore kickboxing and mma train where the champions train now if you like this show chances are you're familiar with the shows i'm about to tell you but just in case you're not The OG of the Enforcer podcasting business is Darren from Saskatoon. His show is The Fourth Line Voice. Now, this is very important. Darren is on the Hockey Podcast Network. They have a ton of shows on there. Uh, Darren's show, along with Terry Ryan's show, happen to be my favorites. Uh, I never miss an episode. If you subscribe to the Hockey Podcast Network, every show they do ends up in your inbox, and uh, that's for you to pick and choose. Darren does two shows a week. And uh, he has a show, well, there should be a show coming out today, which is Sunday. I'm recording on a Sunday, even though you're probably listening on Monday. Uh, I don't know which episode is coming out today, but he did post something yesterday about uh, upcoming episodes. And one of the episodes, which I hope is coming out on Wednesday, is with uh, a person you've heard me mention before. His name is Yuka. Yuka is a mutual friend of Darren and myself from Finland. And Yuka has been involved in, uh, in hockey for a very long time. And I know what you're thinking, you know, Finland and, you know, everyone, it's funny cause Finland, you go Finland, Sweden, and they, I don't know if they still do, but like they hate each other. Um, but I know the whole European thing, I get it, but Yuka is, uh, Yuka more North American than many of the North Americans around here, uh, today. And, uh, in terms of his, uh, hockey preferences and, um, Yuka has a really, uh, he doesn't have an interesting story. Yuka has a lot of interesting stories so um i really recommend that uh, i mean i recommend you check out all Darren's shows but if the episode with yuka is the one coming out this wednesday i really recommend you listening to it i can't wait i've been busting yuka's balls to get on darren's show for months now and you know it's easy for me to say because I, ha- I don't have to deal with the nine hour time difference between uh finland and saskatoon but they made it work and um I really can't wait for this episode to come out. So I cannot recommend enough this episode that is coming out, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, it lives up to my advance billing, and, and I'm pretty sure that it will. So definitely check. Well, check out like I said, check out all of Darren's shows, but do not miss the episode that he has coming out with uh, with Yuka. A lot of interesting stuff that will be discussed in that episode. Also, if you are listening to this, if you listen to Darren's show, you probably in your life have watched a hockey video on YouTube, hockey fight video on YouTube. And if you have, chances are it was on the fourth line voice YouTube channel, but in case you haven't definitely go on YouTube, look for fourth line voice, hit that subscribe button and fall down the rabbit hole for a couple of hours. He's got, uh, I think over 2,200 fights on there. And, uh, if you like hockey fighting, chances are your favorite guy is on there too. So definitely, uh, definitely check out the show and check out the YouTube channel. One of Darren's latest guests was Alec Olin Salen, the host of the five for fighting podcast, which has been on hiatus for a bit now, but if what Alec said is true, I have no reason to doubt him. uh, He should be releasing a new episode shortly. He has been very busy and uh, he's also been recovering from COVID, but he sounds great and um, sounds like he's ready to go again. So, if you haven't listened to the Fight for Fighting podcast, definitely uh take this opportunity, go listen to some past episodes and get ready for the new ones cuz uh, I think they're uh they're headed your way. If you're on Facebook, Alec is the boss of two very good pages on Facebook, uh the Enforcer Appreciation page, uh over 12 or 13,000 members, lots of enforcers on there and listen, I'm not going to lie seems like lately there's an influx of idiots on that page. The good thing about the page, however, is they kind of flush those guys out pretty quickly. So, um, but yeah, I don't know what it, I get it's like everything else, you know, once something gets a certain, certain level of, um, I don't even want to say notoriety, but, uh, attention, let's say, uh, you're going to draw from all, all walks. And and lately it just seems like there's a bunch of idiots on there, but Alex on top of it and his, uh, his foot soldiers there are on top of it too. So they kind of weed out the idiots, but, um, don't let that deter you because there's plenty. There are some uh, former players on there that are very active. And, and they're really, if you're a fan of the role, they provide an insight that you just can't get anywhere else. And nor would you want to, because why not hear it right from the horse's mouth? So definitely check out the Enforcer Appreciation page. Also, Alec recently started a QSPHL slash LNAH jersey and equipment page on Facebook. If those letters do not mean anything to you, they may when I tell you that is the infamous Quebec league. Quebec leagues known to have a scrap or two, maybe not so much anymore, but back in the, in the heyday, um, it was, uh, it was a pretty violent and physical league. And, um, one of the things that, uh, they always did, they had these really interesting jerseys and, um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, jerseys. I, I'll be honest back in the day, I didn't really follow it too much. And I think part of the reason why was I would get all these tapes from the league well not from the league from fellow collectors i would get all these tapes but they didn't have lists and they're all all the commentary was in french or there was no commentary at all so i didn't know who i was watching so while the fights were very entertaining i just it was hard for me to follow along and i never really got into it too much but i think with the state of the game now uh i'm taking uh more of an interest in some of the uh some of the old school uh, Quebec league stuff. I know I have some DVDs on the way of a few players like Joel Terrio, someone I've been a fan of for a long time. So, um, so I'm looking forward to watching some of that stuff, but if you're interested in, um, you know, game use jerseys equipment and uh, you're not afraid of the old Quebec league stuff, definitely check out Alex uh, QSPHL slash L -L 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 N A H Jersey and equipment page on Facebook. so, Segwaying from that i want to uh just say thank you to a very good friend of mine my friend anthony uh if you follow me on social media you know that i've been posting a lot lately of uh stuff i've added to my uh, game worn uh collection game News collection uh i've known anthony a long time he's a good guy he's old school like me and um uh recently uh we hooked up and you know, I have said it a million times before about, uh, the collection that I used to have and why I had to get, uh, why I had to sell a lot of it. And, um, uh, you know, in case you haven't, uh, in case you didn't listen, let's say, uh, at one point I had over 600 enforcer sticks. I probably had 40, 50 jerseys, uh, multiple pairs of gloves and helmets and everything. And as I've said before, uh, real life comes into play. And, uh, years ago, uh, my wife got, uh, T-boned by a car, uh, car got totaled uh we needed a car and um just you know over the years at various points um you know like i say, real life gets in the way you need groceries you need this you need that and um i wish i never had to sell any of it but i did and uh and that's okay it was i'm lucky that i had stuff to fall back on uh, but over the last few years i've been trying to rebuild my collection and uh i've i've pretty much limited it to guys uh, with islander ties so it's not even uh not even try to rebuild a collection of just enforcers i mean honestly i could never rebuild what i had if i even if i well i could if i had unlimited resources let's put it that way uh but i don't so it's easier to try to rebuild and just uh keep the focus on islander people and uh anthony had a bunch of stuff and um you know i'm just going to say it he he gave me a shit ton of stuff. He didn't want a penny for it. And, uh, it was like, wow. Like, what do you say to that? You know, it's just, um, you know, he's a great guy and, uh, he knows my situation and, um, you know, I was fully prepared to give him something, you know, I even at one point said, do you, do you accept layaway? And, uh, and it was funny. He was always kind of evasive when I would, uh, when I would bring up money and, uh, you know, when we hooked up, I didn't know what he was going to say. And he's just like, you know what, dude, just take it. And, uh, it really touched me. You know, I know, uh, you know, big sensitive teddy bear here, but, uh, you know, Anthony's a great guy and, uh, you know, he listened. So I'm just going to say, and Anthony, thank you so much. And, uh, I should be getting a few more things from him this week because, uh, again, he's just a phenomenal human being. And, um, I hope one day I'm able to repay you in some way, shape or form and, uh, just thank you again, Anthony. You're you're the fucking man. Thank you so much. So, just a few more things before I I uh, get to the uh, the Graham Townsend episode. Um, I think what my wife and I have been doing is probably what everyone's been doing, right? It's probably just watching a lot of TV, hitting up Netflix. We've watched uh, we've watched so many things on Netflix in the last six seven months. It's insane. And we started watching this series last night called Between. And, uh, I think it, well, I, I know it was filmed in Canada, uh, and I looked it up and it was filmed in, I think, 2015, 2016. And, um, it's pretty interesting given the situation that we're in now. I don't want to give away too much. Uh, what I will tell you is, um, I think the biggest star in the show is, uh, uh she's, you know, it's, it, you think I would at this point. Um, (laughs) make a note of this shit, but there's a girl in it who was on a Disney show that I know at least my youngest son used to watch, like, I don't know, 14, 13, 14 years ago. I don't remember her name, but, uh, she was on a Disney show. She's probably the biggest name in it. I don't know what she's done since then. Uh, there's a lot of, it appears, I would imagine there's probably a lot of young Canadian actors and actresses in it. Um. Just, just watch it. It's not like, don't watch it and go, wow, some of this. I mean, some of the acting is, eh, you know, it's okay. But, uh, what are you watching Netflix for now? Anyway, you want it to pass the time. You want it to take your mind off shit. And, uh, for everyone that's sick of COVID and, uh, all this other bullshit that's going on, it's, uh, it's interesting because it involves sort of an epidemic and, uh, it's not a pandemic. It's limited to this, uh, fictitious town, uh, called Pretty Lake. So, um, I would recommend it. It's, uh, I think it was on for, uh, two seasons. I think it's six episodes a season. Uh, we're almost done with episode one. It's, it's pretty interesting, especially given the fact that it's not something that ha- was filmed now after COVID it was filmed, you know, like I said, four or five years ago, pre COVID. So, uh, but there's some interesting stuff in it and I, I can't give a spoiler alert cause I don't know how it ends, but I know a lot of it has to do with government and, Uh, you know, just stuff that I think people can relate to nowadays. So it's called between and, uh, it's pretty interesting. Now, again, if you blow through it and think it sucks, I don't know. Like I said, I think we've watched five of 12 episodes. So, uh, but it's pretty interesting. Something else we watched this week. Uh, Kevin Hart has a comedy special on there. Now I, I love stand-up comedy, um, well, I don't know if I love stand-up comedy anymore because of the way people are, where everyone's afraid of hurting everyone's feelings. Um I, I, like, I like stand-up comedy. I don't need raunchy stand-up comedy where you talk about different things that, you know, that's not, the raunchy stuff isn't necessarily my cup of tea, but I don't mind inappropriate stuff. I, I don't mind that at all. I think it's funny and I think they're jokes and i know some stand-up comics and i and and my heart goes out to them because god forbid you had any sort of funny material now you have to kind of you you have to do one of two things you just don't give a fuck and you're gonna say it and uh, then wait for the fucking sky to fall with all the people that you offend because everyone's so fucking sensitive um or you clean it up and then who knows if it's even funny anymore but kevin hart did something my wife said oh well a lot of people have said, Oh, Kevin Hart's got a new special. And when we both like him, I think he's really funny. Um, ah, you know, for me, per- my wife left a lot for me personally. Uh, I found one thing I found very annoying. Um, and listen, I, I don't know a lot about Kevin Hart. I think he started on YouTube and just blew up from there. And if that's the case, fuck more power to him. That's fantastic. I, like I said, I know some stand-up comics and, uh, I know it's such a tough business. I mean, it takes balls to get up there and on stage and really put yourself out there. And, you know, for every Kevin Hart, there's probably 10,000 people who struggle in the business and eventually get out or just, you know, do it forever and don't make any sort of money on it, whatever. But, uh, there, there were probably six, seven, eight times where he just alluded to how successful he is. And I don't know, like I, I, I try to be humble. And I try to live my life that way. I I don't, everybody knows that Kevin Hart is successful. Like if you're successful, if you can say successful, like obviously I can't, but if you're successful, I don't know. Like, I don't need to hear that you're successful from you. Obviously Kevin Hart is successful. Um, I just sort of irritated me. And again, maybe it's, you know, my age, I don't know, but, um, I know you're successful. I don't need you to make like sort of undercover I'm I'm rich, I'm successful remarks in your act. Just I don't know. Like he's got so much funny shit and we know you're successful. And I don't know if it actually was done in his house, this this special, but if it was done in your house And that's actually a room in your house or your basement or something. Yes, we can definitely tell you're successful. So I don't know. Like I said, I don't begrudge the guy at all, especially if, if that's how he made it, like just starting out on YouTube and becoming this worldwide phenomenon. I I'm, I'm thrilled for the guy. That's fucking great. I mean, it's really, he's, he should be an inspiration to a lot of people. Um, But, you know, and if you watch it, you'll, you'll hear it. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm overreacting. My wife really didn't seem to have an issue with it, but, um, I don't know. It just didn't seem necessary. And as far as comparing that special to his previous stuff, I don't think it was as funny, but what I will say is, um, I guess he just turned 40, 41, and he talks about certain things for men around that age and like talking about comparing, uh, men and women of that age and uh, talking about, uh, one of the, the thing I really laughed at the most was when he talks about, uh, the group texts that men have with their friends and what women think might be on there at once you hit a certain age and what the reality is. And that was probably my favorite part of the special. So, um, I'm not saying to watch it or not to watch it. I, I would say, watch it. Let me know if, uh, if it annoys you the stuff, you know, just talking about how successful he is, um, as much as it annoyed me and again it's all relative it's not like i sat here and stewed over it i just made notes about it and uh, about what i was going to talk about now it's not like i'm sitting here going to fucking thing i'm still mad about it no i mean i'm not it just at the time I, i found it irritating but like i said when he got to the part of the the act where he talks about the stuff i just mentioned i thought that was really funny but you know listen kevin hart uh probably one of the funniest people i've ever heard in my life so uh so good for him and check it out i, I just think uh and, and again i I think a guy like kevin hardy he's in a tough spot because kevin Hart has a lot of funny shit in his catalog but who knows what you can or cannot say anymore so guys like that you know listen you have my respect because you can't just be funny anymore you have to be funny and also worry about who you're going to offend so uh if anyone out there is listening that's a stand-up comic and I know I do have a few uh listeners who are are stand-up comics you have my respect because I can't imagine I could never imagine doing what you do going up on stage and putting yourself out there like that and now I definitely can't do it because you have to worry about being funny and being offensive so um so more power to you you have my respect. So um the reason that the discount code this week for the merchandise is jigs is because jigs just celebrated a birthday over the weekend. And jigs is one of those people. If you're a hockey fan, you don't need the last name, but it's jigs. McDonald jigs. McDonald is the voice of so many people's youth, uh, just hockey fandom. I mean, everything that, uh, I remember growing up as far as the Islanders go is narrated by jigs. McDonald. And, um, just well, just a legend, you know, I, I I, think everyone probably feels that way if you've been a hockey fan or a sports fan from a young age. Like, you know, if you're a Dodgers fan. I mean, I'm not even a Dodgers fan. I heard Vince Scully once a week on Channel 4 on the Baseball Game of the Week, and he's the voice I most identify with, more so than any of the Braves announcers or anyone else in baseball. Um, you know, I heard Vince Scully once a week. I can't imagine how how amazing it must have been if you're a Dodgers fan and you heard Vince Scully every night of the week, that must've been just unbelievable to hear someone like that. And Jiggs is that for Islander fans. And, um, he's just, to me, he's the best. And, um, I was fortunate enough to meet, uh, meet Jiggs once. Didn't really have too much of a conversation with him. He was doing a bunch of things, but, um, had time to sign an autograph for me. Maybe we spoke for two or three minutes and it was just awesome to talk to someone. And, you know, like I say, if you take a second right now, think of a particular Islander highlight in your head. If you're of a certain age and chances are the highlight you're thinking of was narrated by Jiggs McDonald. So, uh, he had a happy birth. I hope he had a happy birthday this weekend. And, uh, Jiggs is the discount code this weekend because, uh, he's a legend and, um, I love him. I love him. So happy birthday, Jiggs. Don't forget now this week. Uh, when's the first Tuesday? So this Tuesday. You can get your Islanders reverse retro jersey, please. If you're one of those people who was complaining about the fishermen not being there and said, I'm never buying this reverse retro jersey. Stick to your guns. Don't buy it. Don't be like these celebrities who were going to move to Canada. And then of course, never move to Canada, which is good for Canada, of course. But if you say you're not going to buy one, don't buy one. Because I'll tell you what. My wife saw one the other day and she said, you know, she's not gonna get one. I don't think she she has any interest in getting one, but she said they look really nice. She saw them all done up with name and number and stuff and she said they look really nice. And I don't I don't think she has any interest in it um in getting one. But uh if you said you're not gonna get one, don't get one. Don't go back on what you said, you know, just stick to your guns, don't get one. You know, just go buy one of those dorky fisherman jerseys and, you know, wear your wool hat in July. And, um, complain about it more on social media. But for those of you who want to get one like myself, remember Tuesday, December 1st, they are available. I don't know everywhere they're going to be available, but I know that the uh, team store at the rink is going to have them. So, uh, I would think, you know, everyone's like, well, maybe I should sit on it. Cause there's so many people whining about how they hate it. They hate it. I'm just telling you. I don't have any stake in the team store game, uh, money game or anything like that, or profits. I'm just telling you, it's a beautiful Jersey and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point it sells out. So if you really want one, I would go grab one. And if you complained about it, don't buy one, stick to your guns. All right. For probably for once in your life, stick to your guns and, uh, and don't buy one final two points. Uh, good luck in life to Johnny Boychuk, Johnny, uh, well, I, I was gonna say retired, but he didn't retire and he he's smart not to retire. He retires, he leaves a lot of money on the table. So the Islanders are gonna have to do something with him, put him on long term injured reserve or something. But um we've seen the last of Johnny Boychuk in an Islander uniform and, and I would imagine in any hockey uniform. Um, you know, he had to make a decision that uh I'm sure was gut wrenching for him and um you can't screw with your vision. You definitely can't do that and um you know Johnny is uh, stepping away from hockey. Dude's been nothing but awesome for the Islanders. Uh, you know, the day that the Islanders acquired Johnny Boychuk and Nick Letty probably uh, reminded, I know it reminded me of when all of a sudden the Islanders get, um, Michael Pekka and Chris Osgood. And, um, at the time I didn't like the trade, but, uh, I still don't like the trade, but even, you know, you get, uh, Alexi Ash and, uh, all of a sudden kind of doormats. And now you're throwing in guys like, uh, like Yashin and Pekka and Osgood and, uh, a coin. And, you know, all of a sudden you're getting these names and, um, Garth went out and got, uh, Johnny Boychuk and Nick Letty, I think within an hour of each other. And it was kind of like, Whoa, these guys are, uh, pretty good players. And, um, and they've been great for the Islanders since they got him And unfortunately, uh, Johnny Boychuk's career, uh, came to an end this week. And, you know, uh, what can you say about the guy? Just, uh, been total, total warrior for the Islanders. And, uh, you know, good, good team guy, you know, fantastic player. And, uh, I wish him nothing but the best. So, uh, not that he listens, but, uh, if he did, if he accidentally tuned into this and heard this, Johnny Boychuk, best of luck with everything. Uh, you're still a very young man. You got the rest of your life. So, uh, take care of yourself. And, um, again, no news on the Matt Martin watch. Um, the, the one thing that the Johnny Boychuk situation may help with is, uh, clearing up some money for matt barzell and i i am of the belief that once the matt barzell signing comes down that the uh, ufa signings will be announced so maybe uh the uh, johnny boychuk situation will lead into the matt barzell situation which will lead into the unrestricted free agent signing uh, situations being uh solidified i don't want to say finalized because i guess technically they can't be finalized yet but i'm sure that you know everybody knows shit happens even if it's not announced so no news on Matt Martin but again like I said I think uh, the fact that he has not signed anywhere to me means that he's coming back here but uh, I can't uh, can't be official and uh, I have no idea so uh, hopefully like (laughs) like I think I've been saying for the last two months hopefully there's some clarity on the uh, Matt Martin situation very shortly but anyway that's all I have for you, uh, as far as my preamble and, uh, you, uh, I'm sure you came here to listen to part two of Graham Townsend anyway. So, uh, so here it is folks. Uh, thank you again for everyone who listened to part one. Here's part two of my chat with Graham Townsend. You brought up your book and I'm sure this is going to be in your book, but do you remember where you were February 2nd, 1991?
1: Yeah, I scored my first goal. Oh At no, the sorry. End- my first, that was my first game.
0: No, that was your first sorry. goal at the at Pittsburgh in the Inglut against oh, Wendell sorry. Young. Sorry,
1: yeah, okay, that, that's my dad's birthday. I'm sorry, yeah, okay. I <laughs> swore my, my dad's birthday. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, do you remember the goal? Uh, yeah, it was it was against Pittsburgh? Um, uh, who's the goalie?
0: Wendell Young. Frank,
1: Wendell Young. Okay, I, I thought it was Frank Peterangelo. Yeah, it was Wendell Young. Okay, yeah, it was off a rebound. I think. Um, I think it was. Uh, it was. Uh, what's his face? There. Um, uh, Al Peterson took a shot off the half wall. And I got the rebound and just put it put it in the uh, middle of the net. Yeah, that was my first goal. February 2nd, my dad's birthday. That's that's right now. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I got back to the hotel. I got back to the Senesta. My wife um, at the time, actually, she was my girlfriend at the time. And um, she'd come down to see me at the hotel that weekend. Mm-hmm. And so the Pittsburgh game was basically, we went the night before. We came right back after the game. I think it was an afternoon game. And, oh, yeah. And that happened to be the game where Yager got his first hat trick. So he kind of upstaged me.
0: Oh, they always do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's some, some, some kid named Jaggers. Uh, you know, some Jagger kid with long hair got his uh, first hat. Selfish. Yeah, so, Very yeah, selfish. Was, yeah, his first hat trick. So we ended up losing. We lost 5-2 that game. Mm. I didn't even get the puck. I don't know why. Was <laughs> get so, out of here. I, you know what? Honestly, man, I was pissed off we lost and didn't yeah. even ask. So we get back to the hotel, and my wife and I had the chef in the hotel make me this, um, this cheese plate. It was this big hunk of, hunk of cheese like a brie. In yeah. A big circle and had a had the the the, the spoked bee logo in, made out of olives. Oh wow! Like al- so she yes, yeah, so, so that was she said. Like, Congratulations on your first goal. So they, I didn't even get the puck, man. Okay. A few years later, I contacted the Pittsburgh Penguins and asked them to send me a puck. So they did.
0: <laughs> I got you. Very good. Uh, yeah. Yager probably has it. It was probably the third goal of his hat trick, and they didn't change yeah. the puck out. He probably has yeah. it somewhere. <laughs> he probably has a room of pucks. He probably couldn't find it if you needed him to find it.
1: Exactly. I'm sure. I'm sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um you had two fights that year. Uh one was against Randy McKay, but the second fight is really is uh, actually I'm gonna set the scene. So that was at the Coliseum and yeah. uh you fought Kenny Baumgartner who his run with the Islanders was, was pretty amazing. I mean bombers everywhere he played he was tough, but his run with the islanders was crazy. So you fought Kenny Baumgartner and then later in the game, uh he almost killed Craig Janney with a check. Now I've I've been told a story which I'm hoping you can either confirm or deny. Now, I've been told that in between periods, uh, you guys in the locker room were kind of figuring out, well, we, obviously we have to go after Kenny now because he almost killed Craig Janney. And I was told that you were, you were ready to go him again. And Shane Stevenson stepped up and said, no, I want him, I want him. And uh, <laughs> Shane won, and I put that in quotes, he won the opportunity to uh, avenge uh, bomber uh, to avenge uh, Craig Janney against bomber, and obviously it didn't go his way. But I know Shane Stevenson's a tough guy, but is that what happened?
1: Yeah, how do you get all that info? That's amazing. You do some, that's that's incredible. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so like, we, well, it was discussed, you know, we're gonna have to go after this guy. It wasn't discussed as to who was gonna do it because yeah. I think so. Before that game, I gotta tell you a funny story about that because this is gonna set it up. So, I'm in the locker room, and uh, getting dressed and, and and then in comes uh knuckles right mm-hmm. and knuckles Nyland. You, you have so people who don't understand who don't understand how important tough guys are have never been on a hockey team yep. he walked in that room and all he said was hey guys how's it going and i grew 10 feet mm-hmm. so he just fills the room with he gives you so much freaking confidence it's unbelievable so he grabs the program, he grabs the stat sheet, right, the, uh, the house sports data mm-hmm. thing, and he's reading it. He goes, and I think he had at the time, I want to say he had like 233 penalty minutes. I can't remember whatever it was. And he goes, hey, guys, we've got two, ga- two games left in the season. You think I can get to 300 pems before the season's over? <laughs> <laughs> We're like, yeah, sure you can, Knox, yeah, yeah, so I want to try. So I think by the time uh, this incident happened, he's already kicked out of the Islanders game. He, he had like, I think he had like, Thirty minutes or something stupid that yeah, game like i think he, i
0: think he fought chanel maybe once or twice in that game
1: yeah so mm-hmm. he got he got kicked out so by the time it's, now it's being discussed it was, someone's got to answer the bell here so finally there's a face-off in our zone on the right wing side milbury kicks me in the butt says get out there mm-hmm. so i go okay i'm gonna have to fight bomber now mm-hmm. so i guess something happened where the puck was dropped and it went out of out of bounds like right away over the glass mm-hmm. so all of a sudden shane comes out he taps me in the ass goes hey Boomba, I got him! I got him! And he tells Bob Sweeney to go to the bench. So he just takes a, he takes a face off, right? He loses it on purpose. It goes right to Bomber. Bomber takes a shot on that, and Shane goes, "Bomber, let's go!" Bomber kind of look. I I was skating right beside Shane. I was right there, mm-hmm. and uh, and he goes, "No, Bomber, I'm serious. Let's go!" So Bomber drops the gloves, and I I was standing five feet away. Yeah. And the first couple punches connected. He was a lefty. Yep. And just split Shane's head wide open. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Shane finished the fight. It gets broken up. His helmet's on the ice. I go to pick up the helmet. And you know the, 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 the uh, tan color foam that's in there? Yeah. Red. Yep. Every inch of it is just completely red. It looked like a freaking scene from Carrie. <laughs> and I remember almost puking like, ugh. Yeah. So I pick his helmet up. And so, the, so they both get tossed and the game's over. And so now we're on the plane, right? We're flying back to Boston. His eye is swollen shut, and, he, and we're sitting beside each other. He goes, hey, uh, Graham, we both got to feel pretty good about ourselves, eh? We fought the toughest guy in the league. They're going to keep us up for sure, aren't they? I look at the kid and go, you kidding me, man? We're going right back to the minors as soon as, as we're done. <laughs> so, so then we get sent back to the minors. So then, so then the last game, right? the last game, Knuckles is still trying to get 300. And so he needs some family minutes, right? So there's a face-off at center ice. I think we just scored. And Rob Brown's lined up across from him. Mm-hmm. So he grabs Rob Brown after the puck drops and just tunes him. Yeah. So then uh, he gets tossed. And so we come in the, coming up, <laughs> We're going to the locker room after the game, and, and there's this uh, bulletin board, eh? like, a, like a particle board. And there's this, uh, this, this, this patch of hair. It's stuck to the bulletin board. It's Rob Brown's plugs. He had a <laughs> hair piece. He had a hairpiece. Oh yeah, and, and ripped it out of his head and, and stuck it up on the bulletin board. It was oh. like, what? That's a like ten thousand dollar hairpiece he just ripped off a guy's head, man. <laughs> <laughs> Why he was wearing it when he's playing hockey is beyond me. But I guess he never thought he'd have to fight anybody. And you know, but Knuckles was looking for penalty minutes, so he just grabbed the nearest, the closest guy, and happened to be this this skill guy, Rob Brown. I'm sure you remember Rob Brown.
0: Oh yeah. Absolutely, no. I, I remember Rob Brown, and and like you say, like he maybe he didn't think he was ever going to fight anybody, but you know he was a bit of a pain in the ass out there. I remember Bomber went after him once when he was with Hartford, or and I think he went after him once when he was with Pittsburgh. So, I mean, he he played a little feisty. I mean, not that he was a fighter at all, but you're right, the plugs he had. I mean, and especially you know technology and the advances you know nowadays you could walk right past the guy and never know it but his plugs i mean listen i'm not shitting on the guy i shaved my head i'm bald those plugs were pretty bad they kind of look like barbie doll heads so
1: exactly yeah exactly so yeah he uh he lost his Mm hairpiece but um yeah so um so that weekend yeah shane Shane, uh Shane, shane definitely bit off more than he could chew i mean i got lucky when i fought bomber i was up against the boards and um you know, when that fight was over, I remember him going, no, we're not done. <laughs> like, yeah, we are, dude, please. And he threw a couple of bombs at me. But um, I, I was lucky I was bigger than him, so I could I could put him up against the boards and I could use my weight. But he, he's the one guy you don't want to let loose. And then I, then I played with him the next year. Yep. And I remember looking at his knuckles. His knuckles are shaped like little uh, triangles. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they're like little knives, eh? I don't know if he looked at his hands. Yeah. But they're like little knives, and I, I tell you, man, he, he cut open pretty much everybody he fought. Like this guy was just a just a beast, mm-hmm. and, and you know what? He's a good player too. Yep. That's another thing people don't realize. He he was a very good hockey player, oh, yeah. and um, was and, and he's he's a brilliant. He's got a brilliant mind. Like yes. he's a genius, man. Yep. You know, so so like it's just he got he had everything going for him. He just I guess he just knew his role and he did it very well. But. There was there was a there was a uh, an incredible mind in, in, under you know under that helmet too. You know he, he really knew the game very well. I'm surprised he never got into coaching. Actually,
0: he did for a few years. He was assistant, assistant coach with the Bruins.
1: Okay, well there you go, there you go. Okay, so yeah, yeah he did coach. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was he'd be a good coach.
0: He, uh, I remember that game like it was yesterday. I mean that was uh, those were good times for me. Like I, that season, I was you know twenty turning twenty one uh and you know that was every game you go into watching bomber and mick do their thing and i never forget that game it was a pretty pretty violent game lots of fights and like i said uh the hit on craig janney i i was, you know we were uh where i sat was up top but it was i was behind it and you just heard it just echoed through the arena and then i'll never forget uh the fight with shane and just watch it i mean shane was i mean listen shane's a tough guy but in terms of experience and skill bomber at that point it was it was not not even a contest and the worst thing that happened for shane was bomber grabbed him and he got him he just fed him uppercut left uppercuts and i remember when they were separated the blood and then of course me being me i was taping the game of course and then i go home and i'm watching the video and i just like i get goosebumps now because i just remember like the place was going nuts because there was probably four fights in the the game and there was the big hit and uh I think that was the first time I'd seen Shane fight in person then I was just like man this guy's you know he's tough he stood in there I don't think he went down I mean he took a few and he got split open but yeah and then I I have my spies you know uh to get that inside info and uh and I remember hearing about that uh, the conversation that may have happened and uh and uh but listen that's the way hockey used to be and 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 I and I think the game is worse for it I I like uh You know, like the way you handle things yourself, you handle it like a man. You handle it in house, and and when it's over, it's over. And it's one of the things I kind of liked about the sport back then is uh, it was the kind of thing where when shit happened, you can handle it, and then it was over. And you know, hey, Bomber's doing his job. He's being a physical presence out there. He's fighting you. He's crushing guys with hits. And then when Stevenson comes up to challenge him, he just answers the bell, and then it's over with. And then everyone everyone leaves the arena that night, and there's no carryover. You know what I'm saying?
1: Exactly. You know, it it was like that too. I, you know, I remember um my first training camp. There was two guys. I don't remember their oh, actually one guy's name was Dave Mellon. He played at Clarkson, mm-hmm. and uh, he fought some guy that was coming out of the IHL. And these two guys, man, they went toe to toe, and they must have hit each other like twenty times square in the face. And right after, right after that, we're at the bar having beers, and later on, yep. they're, they're they're best friends. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I, I remember seeing that, thinking, oh my god, like this that's that's hockey. That's a hockey yep. player. You know, like mm-hmm. they just tried to kill each other ten minutes ago, and or an hour ago, rather, and now they're at the bar having a beer, and it's like, never happened. Their, their faces are swollen, bruises and cuts everywhere. I was like, geez. You know, so, yeah, that, that, it was a totally different era. You know, I, th- I think I think fighting got a little bit out of control in the, you know, 2000s, whereas it was more like guys trying to hold on to their jobs. They just had you know, But back in the day, I already I think of the Tim Hunters of the world and the the bombers of the world. There was a reason behind it, but I think, I think once uh once it got to a point where, like like Tim Hunter told me a story. He says, "Listen, Graham, this is how it was when I played." I would I, and and Mick told me this too. Mick told me this. He goes, "Mick said you abuse the skill guys and you fight the tough guys, mm-hmm. like you abuse them." And, and 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 Hunt said, "Yeah, I used to try to kill Wayne Gretzky all the time. I didn't care if it was Wayne Gretzky. I, I, I hit him hard, yeah. and then I had to fight because of it." I think I think it became a point where tough guys weren't really going after the the skill guys anymore they were just having their two or three shifts a game mm-hmm. and they're, they're squaring off the other tough guy because they, they had to, Yeah, you know, it, the role kind of changed and, and the use of the, of that player kind of changed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what led to, um, I don't know. I don't know if I have any proof, if I could say this for sure, but if you look at the guys that came later after, after me, I think you've seen a lot more of the, the, uh, the, the depression issues and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. than you did back in my era. Cause I do believe that even though, tough guys were tough guys. You still had tough guys scoring, you know, 15 goals. You had, you had, uh, you had, uh, uh, what's his face? <laughs> what's his face? Bob Probert scoring 29. Yep. Like, I don't think you saw that in the 2000s, a tough guy put producing like that because mm-hmm. the coaches wouldn't give them a chance to do that. You know Definitely. what I mean? Yep. And with, In my era, they actually did let you play. You didn't, yeah. just, you didn't just sit on the bench and pick your nose for, for three periods and then fight, get one shift. You actually played, Yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And so... So I, I just th- think it was a totally different time, and I don't think you're seeing it. So I, I think those guys were were, were poorly treated mm-hmm. later on, and and um, just used as, as 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 cannon fodder. And I think that was so wrong. You know what I mean? To treat those guys. Like that. Yep.
0: Um, just so uh, just to put a bow on this, Chris Nyland ended up that season with 277 penalty minutes, which <laughs> which is a nice total. But when you consider he only played 41 games. And he got 277 penalty minutes. Had he played a full season, he's probably looking at around 475, 500. Yeah. You know.
1: yeah, see, he, tried, he was trying to get to 300. I think he had to get like 70 penalty minutes in two games or something like that. And he almost did.
0: Uh, he almost did it. But again, he 41 got 40 games. Minutes just and this yeah. is and this is chris nylon towards the end of his career this isn't yeah. chris nylon of montreal this is the the spunky guy from massachusetts trying to get 300 and like i said he was 23 minutes short but he only played 41 games <laughs> so well, so give him one more game he would have he would have definitely oh, got it the no question game. no question so how did that, how did you end up signing with the islanders
1: well yeah so now that the bruins uh didn't resign me and so I just, uh, my agent just worked and worked and got me a deal with the Islanders. Um, got me a one-on-one and that happened, uh, in September. I remember I was at a, um, a, I was at a pre-camp in Boston at Boston university. Uh, John Kenneth used to run it. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the second week of the camp. My agent, who was Ray Shearer at the time mm-hmm. was at the rank and I was sitting on the bench, right. And Ray's, Ray got my attention. I went over to see him. He goes, Hey man. I got you a contract. I was, like, I was so happy because I was getting married that summer. Actually, no, I got married that summer, and I hadn't had a job yet. I got married, uh, I, uh, it was August, uh, August 3rd, and, um, and I didn't have a job until about a month later, two or three weeks later, actually.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So finally got a job, and yeah, he you just, you just uh, worked the deal with Yeah, He worked every team, and that's the only team that's worth interest, I guess.
0: Um, I know uh, in that training camp. I think I sent you the picture. I know that you had a preseason fight against Louis DeBrusque at the Coliseum when Louis was with the Rangers. Do you remember that fight? Because yeah. I only have the picture, and I know I was at the game, but I don't remember the fight. Uh, do you remember the fight?
1: I do. Yeah, that was a pretty even tilt. I mean, yeah. and he was a rookie actually, and um, so yeah, I, I knew I had to fight him. So we, yeah, we. Went, I, I, I actually, you, you sent me that picture. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. 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 I remember that fight. It was just a kind of a. You know, A few punches and we grabbed each other, but it was more of an even, you know, even tilt. It wasn't it didn't it didn't go that long. Yeah. I don't even think I got hit. I don't think I hit him or I, I don't even think I got hit, you know, really yeah. that hard. So yeah, so that was pretty much it. That was a preseason fight.
0: So you brought up you brought up uh your nickname. Now obviously you're a hockey player, so you're gonna have the nickname that ends in a Y or an I E like everyone, I'm sure people over the years have called you townie. But um I being that I know so many of the guys that you played with the Islanders every time, if they mentioned you, uh, how did you get the nickname Boomba? Well, this is
1: going to be funny, and it's it's not going to be a popular uh, response in, in in today's climate. But what happened was I was playing junior B in Toronto, okay, and uh, my sentiment was a guy named Mark Etchee. God rest his soul; he passed away uh, a while ago. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were at this team party, and he was sitting at he was sitting at a table. And there are drinks all around the table, right, you know, with, 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 with you know, drinks in it and stuff. And and I, I was standing talking to somebody, and I turned. And as I turned, my body, my torso, my hand hit the drink, and it spilled all over him. Mm-hmm. So he was this little guy, and he looks up at me. He goes, you big boomba. <laughs> the whole room went silent. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> and I looked up, and I started laughing. Yeah. So the next, the next uh, day of practice, one of my teammates uh, said, hey, uh, Boomba. <laughs> and I started laughing again. So the name stuck.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I didn't know what the name meant right, until much later on. And I guess uh, this guy, Mark, went to a private school called, um, uh, what was the name of the school? Oh, Henry Carr. Henry Carr was a, a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. That's the name that the white kids call the black kids
0: oh okay yeah because i i've heard that for years but i never knew what it i didn't know the the genesis of it
1: but no no one knew like outside of that school and that small group of people right that's mm-hmm. a name they made up for black people okay. and so I, obviously it's not a, a, a flattering thing but it became my nickname i i took ownership of it mm-hmm. i didn't mind it yeah and I, I hardly ever i never really told that story like no one calls me boom anymore right, right. Like they been calling me county now but um but that was my nickname for a long, long time, and, and I just like I said that when I got into coaching, I was going to have people call me Boomba. So people started calling me Townie or Towner. That was pretty much it. Yeah. So that's that's how it came up. But like only my closest, closest, dearest, dearest friends call me that. Like I got you. I'm talking about. You know, they they still do to this day. Some like I'd say about five guys that, that that call me that to this day, and these are my my junior my junior teammates. And I still keep in touch with, with a half a dozen of those guys, and. They still call me that. Then okay. I've had the name Mr. T, you know, because uh, the popular Mr. T back in the day, so I've had oh, people yeah. call me that, but that never stuck, yeah. so, <laughs> that never stuck you know, just, that I, and I, it wasn't like I was going around and people asked what my nickname was. I wasn't my like same. well, you know, the only one I held on to was Boomba, yeah, so when yeah. they asked what my nickname was at school, I told them, you know, mm-hmm. and that was, but even those guys don't call me Boomba anymore.
0: Right, right. All right, so we're gonna play some uh, name association because uh, obviously Islander Islander based uh, show here, and I love I love the, a lot of these guys. I'm gonna ask you about, and I love the uh, AHL, and so um, so we're gonna just ask you about some of your teammates here. Um, first guy, I want and we spoke about uh, Dino already, so uh, we'll go. Uh, we'll start with another Dean, Dean Chanel. Oh
1: man, uh, Dean Chanel, uh, Mister Mister GQ. <laughs> Mr. GQ, man, he had, uh, he had the nicest clothes of anybody on the team. And he, he always, like, what he did is he, <laughs> this guy was cool, man. Like, he dressed, he dressed to the nines all the time, eh? Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, he he would, like, change out his wardrobe, I guess, every couple of years. So what he'd do is he'd bring a, a clothes rack of all of his clothes, right? And sell them to us in the locker room. <laughs> I, I bought a really, I bought a, I couldn't afford his clothes, so I bought a really nice tie off of him once.
0: <laughs> wow, That's, well, he's a first-round pick. He's got to look the part.
1: Yeah, hey, oh, dude, I'm talking Mr. GQ man. There's no one to dress better than Dean Chanel, I'm Telling you, and he was tough too, man. He oh, was yeah, most lefty. Yeah, uh, he he made he made Bob Bugner's career. By the way,
0: I'll yep. tell you that. Yeah, oh yeah, you know the fight that he had. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dino Dino was killing him. Yep. Have you seen
1: that fight? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh my god! And then out of, out of nowhere from from ice level. As he's going down, this bomb comes out of nowhere and connects with Dino, knocks him out. Yep, I couldn't believe it. Yep, like it was, I'm not not disrespecting Bob Butner, but hey, Bob, if you're out there, you know it's a lucky punch, right?
0: <laughs> I, I listen. On. I I know Boogie a little bit. I, I'm sure he would say the same thing. <laughs> most, listen, most guys that drop the gloves, uh, you if you land a punch like that, it's it's perfect timing. It's whatever it is. I mean, there's very few. I mean, there's very few professional fighters that land that punch you know that highlight punch that puts a guy down and there's always luck yeah. involved in it so uh, but yeah no i remember that that one for sure i did reach out to dino to ask him about you and he basically just said great guy phenomenal shape and good teammate and a lot of the guys i reached out to basically those were a lot of the things they said about you just what a what an amazing human being you are and i always said like you seem to be ahead of your time in terms of physical fitness
1: yeah, I, I did take that very seriously back then. I figured that's the one thing I could control, you know, like even if I didn't have the, the skill level, if I could be in great shape and, and hard to move and, and, and the the cardiovascular one guy that taught me about the cardiovascular how important that was was two guys, Adam Oates and, and Nick Fatillo. They both like stressed that part of the game, like as being probably the most important is your conditioning. Mm-hmm. And so I took that very seriously. I, I went crazy. I, I probably went overboard with my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think I, I think I may have, may have overtrained, but I just loved, I just wanted to be, I wanted to be the best conditioned guy in training camp if I could be, you know, yeah. I, I always always wanted to be in the top two or three guys in training camp as far as conditioning is concerned.
0: Yeah. Um, another guy you played with the Capital district was Rick Hayward.
1: Yep. Hazy. Mm-hmm. Hazy, uh, my, I fought him in training camp and, uh, he became one of my closest friends on the team. And I got to tell you. And that whole thing happened with uh, with and He's the one that snuck me out of the rink, yeah. Uh, so the media wouldn't get to me. So yeah, Hazy, Hazy. I, I guess in a word is uh that that's the ultimate warrior man. Like mm-hmm. that guy, that guy. Um, just a and, and just a, just a phenomenal guy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I talk about a great teammate. Like totally there for his team. Yeah, that guy fought for everybody, and um, just just one of one of the most most amazing people you're ever gonna meet in your life. Really you should interview him if you get a chance.
0: I definitely will reach out to him on uh, on Facebook there. He's definitely on my list of guys to reach out to. Um, someone I did have on the show, and someone who is around the same age as me, but I'm always going to remember him as this goofy kid with the goofy smile, always smiling, always having fun, and uh, that's Dave Chizowski.
1: Chizzer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chizzer, man. I got. I, it's funny because um, I, I got a story to tell you about, about him. It's It's kind of funny, and I'm not taking credit for this, but, but I guess I guess maybe I am. So <laughs> heading, heading into the last game of the year, Chizer was on in a, a, a major, major scoring slump. Mm-hmm. And he, were, he and I were on the same line. So, so there's, we're playing Binghamton at home. They were the Rangers at the time. And I, I dug the puck out of the corner. I threw it to the slot area where he was. And I went to the net, right? And there's this pile of guys in front of the net. So Chizer shot the puck and it went off the shaft of my stick and went in. So that would have been my 30th goal, mm-hmm. right? But the, ref, the refs gave it to Chizer, So we get, now we get back to the bench, right? And Chizer goes, hey, didn't that hit your stick? Because he, he saw it hit my stick, right? He goes, didn't that hit your stick? So he, so I have a chance to correct it. But I said, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, we got playoffs next week. And what does it take for a guy to come out of a scoring slump? Well, just a goal. You just yeah. score a goal, a lucky goal, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, your whole perspective on life changes. And next thing you know, you're out of your scoring slump. And I, and I, thought, I was thinking to myself, we need this guy next week, mm-hmm. so I go. No, that was your goal, dude. Yeah. And he goes, oh, uh, he goes. I don't think so. I said, yeah, it was. He goes, okay. <laughs> and then next, the next thing you know, he gets four goals in four playoff games.
0: <laughs> well, and it's funny you're telling that story because when I reached out to Chizer, he he said the second thing he said about you was unselfish. He said he's one of the <laughs> kindest, unselfish, lovable humans I've ever met, and he said old Boomba was awesome. So I know yeah. he loves you to death.
1: Yeah, I I love hey, I love Chizer too, man. And and that, that's that's a true story and, and I got like I said I'm not I can't say I can take credit for it cuz who knows cuz the playoffs weren't for a week later but what I know like any other hockey player knows if you're in a slump one way to get out of it is to get a lucky goal, puck off your skate or something, anything to just build your confidence and that's why I, that's why I didn't take that goal. So you look at my career, it says 29 goals and I I know it would look better if it said 30. But I wouldn't change that for the world because I, I I really wanted to help our team succeed in the playoffs. We ended up losing, unfortunately, four straight to to the Red Wings. But um, mm-hmm. Adirondack. But but I mean, Scherzer was a big part of our our, our, our team. He, he had a great playoff, and like I said, four goals and four games. You can't go wrong there. No. Um. So so I, I did that because I'd be like, yeah, I, I was thinking about the team more 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 than myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, I, I didn't want it, I, I, I didn't want that. To, uh, I wanted him to have a, a great playoff and hopefully have, help us have a deep run. Um, so that's why I did
0: that. Yeah. Um, another guy you played with the guy, not necessarily a fighter. He didn't fight too much, but he definitely played physical and that's Wayne Doucette.
1: Oh, Deuce, my roomie, my other roomie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deuce and I are good friends on Facebook. Yep. So, so when, uh, when that Max Mittendorf thing happened, yep. right, um, you know, and, and to their defense, I was on the ice with Greg Parks. I forget who else was on the ice. But uh, Deuce came over to help me because I was out cold. Like, I was on my back out cold, and Mittendorf was rearranging my face. And... Yeah. So Deuce came over to help, right? And then who grabs him and sucker punches him? Mark Potman breaks Deuce's nose. Uh-huh. So here both of us have our faces smashed open. But Deuce came to help me, man. He was always there for me, man. And he was like, just always had my back. And, and when I went over to confront um you know the the uh, red wings uh, yeah. after that game that mm-hmm. fateful game yeah deuce was one of the guys behind me yeah like he was there and, and i was in front of the entire adiratic red wings team yeah and i had deuce i had deuce i had frazz and i had um it was um it was uh uh oh geez phil huber mm-hmm. those three guys came and my wife by the way
0: <laughs> oh. was frazz smoking because i know he was fond of that What's that? Was Ian Fraser, was he smoking at the time? Because I know every time he was oh, he off the, the ice, he had a cigarette in his mouth. He had the
1: darts going all the time. Yep. He had the, the, the 3000 GT. He had the, he, he was, he's a man. Yeah, I but love yeah, that. They were all behind me. Yeah. and So that guy, So we're, we're standing in front of 20 guys, the four of us and my wife. And I'm 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 telling these guys I'm gonna have to I'll fight every one of you guys if I have to to get through you. Mm-hmm. And then Jim Cummins goes really Graham. You're gonna fight all of us. Yeah. Then, that's <laughs> when I, I said okay. Let's see. There's Tomlinson. There's, <laughs> you yeah. know okay. Yeah. Englehart, uh mm-hmm. Okay, maybe not.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. And and it's funny because we're I'm gonna talk to you about Adirondack uh, in a few minutes once we're done with this. Um, another guy like you played. We're talking about smart guys, okay? Like we we talked about. Uh, you know Dean Shanout, the guy's been a, a coach, I think, since he retired. Like smart guy. Another guy you played with, he's one of the best GMs in the NHL right now, Kevin Shoveldayoff.
1: Oh my God! Yeah, there's a guy that's just a just a, a, a step ahead of everybody. He was so yeah. smart. If you, I don't know if you know this, but Chevy has won uh, championships at mm-hmm. every level. Yeah, he's, he's been at including the Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. um, World Juniors, uh, uh, Memorial Cup, everything. And so the the guy's nothing but a winner, man. Yep. And and he's he's, he's a brilliant mind. I mean, he was one of those. I think he got like um you know like WHL like academic player yep. of the year or something. Yeah, like he like won it twice, you
0: know, I think. Like yeah. That.
1: Yeah. So he's just a really brilliant man and um and a, a hard worker. Again, a great teammate. Like that's the one thing about that team. The Islanders did a really good job of picking the right guys because. Because all those guys were there for each other. They were—they were, they were just a—we were like a gang, you know what I mean? Yep. And um, always there for each other. It was—it was a—it was, was a great team to play in. I really enjoyed my time with the Islanders, man.
0: I really did. Uh, one guy who uh, who played with you there that one season, I think he was brought in when uh, Dean Ewan got hurt, and that's Turbo Dean Turobojevic.
1: Yeah, yeah, Turbo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that guy's a wild man. He was yeah. a wild. man. Yeah, from Alaska.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. So I I asked him about you, and uh, he said I recall him telling me about how poor Jamaica was and how good we have it here. I love the guy because he loved every minute of hockey like I did. So yeah, yep.
1: You can mm-hmm. say that about Dean for sure. Yeah. Uh, Dean Turbidge. Turbo. Turbo is a phenomenal human being. Yeah. Again, like I said, uh, we we had we had we had nothing but great great guys on that team. I can't think of anybody that I didn't like. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and and it's, it's unusual because every team's got someone that sort of. Off and off on their own, but that 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 club, man, we, we just everyone got along. We had we had great Halloween parties and Christmas parties and stuff like that. Everyone got along. The wives got along really well, believe it or not. Yeah, you know, it was a great, just a great place to play and a great bunch of guys.
0: uh One thing I I didn't scroll down far enough. Going back to Wayne Doucette I did reach out to Deuce also and. Uh, he said he was my roommate a lot on the road. Very good person. He'd do push ups and sit ups most nights. He was a beast. I used to call him <laughs> Hightower from the police academy movies. Very classy guy, gentle giant and loves country music. So I guess maybe you went you moved more towards country, but uh, maybe you toned down the heavy metal at the time or what?
1: Well no, what happened was so so I lo- I, I, I didn't like country music back then. I think I think he's referring to, to my to my uh, my taste today. Okay. So I used to hate country music but what happened was I was I was in Chicago doing a hockey school about 5 years ago mm-hmm. and um, one of my instructors and I we were going to drive back to Maine it was like um it was like a uh, like a 10 hour drive to um to Buffalo and then a, and like a 8 hour drive to Maine from there so we're going to stop at Buffalo so the, the rule is whoever drives gets to pick the music yep so this kid this kid volunteers to drive and I didn't want to drive the first 10 hours anyway so he volunteers to drive and he's got country music on the whole freaking time, right? And I'm sitting there going, oh, you gotta be kidding me, man. I hate this crap. Yeah. But as, of course, now you're hearing the same songs over and over again. And I start listening to the lyrics. And I'm like, these lyrics are awesome. You know, because I always thought it was about killing, you know, your dog dies and you're, <laughs> whatever. You're,
0: you're your pickup your dog... truck.
1: The lyrics were awesome. So I, so I started, like, I had this thing on, you know, Soundhound on my phone, right? Mm-hmm. So I start Soundhounding all these songs. And then my intention was to go back and put it on my iPod later. So now, now I'm a huge country country music fan. So that's what Deuce is referring to because I talk about it on Facebook all the time about how much I love country music and all that stuff. So yeah, it's it's one of my favorite genres. But I have not I have not turned my back on heavy metal at all. All right,
0: good to know. I,
1: I don't think I ever will. And I good can't wait know. for my Motley Crue concert next year.
0: <laughs> all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, ask you about it after the concert. So uh, see how you did. But now, now you've brought up Krepke, You brought up Maxi. Um, I think you'll agree with me. I think normally you know, people down here on the island, obviously back when there was a rivalry, Rangers are the biggest rival. And in the American League, even though the Rangers had their team in Binghamton, I don't think there was any question that Capital District's biggest rival was Adirondack. And to be honest with you, Adirondack may have been a lot of teams' biggest rival because they had an army of guys there. I think Barry Melrose was the coach. Uh, You alluded to some of their players. I mean, they had... They had a bunch of guys on that team that would just kill you, and uh, you know, I I think there I don't think there's any question uh, about those Adirondack games. I know that season, that the first season there. Um, you had the uh, the stick incident with Maxie, who I think you're friends with now on Facebook. It, 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 yeah. It, you know, yeah. And it's just, to me, again, it speaks about the way hockey is, about how you battle with these guys on the ice, you go to war against them, and then it's over and and it's settled. It's settled in the rink and that's it. And I remember I remember when uh, I first got on Facebook and I, I saw you and I saw Maxie there and I speak to Maxie on Twitter all the time, uh, just about it, it. I love seeing stuff like that because what, what happens in the rink, no matter how severe it is, it, it should be settled there. And I, when I saw you and Max, you were friends on Facebook. I thought that was great. Uh, you had a fight. I know I, I watched it. You had a good fight that year with Dennis Vial. But talk about those games, the games against Adirondack, because those were just absolute wars.
1: Oh, man, high anxiety, okay? And it, 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 it permeated it permeated the entire building, right, like from top to bottom. So you, you, you knew – you looked at the schedule, you're like, oh, 12 times. Oh, shit. You know, you knew there were going to be absolute wars. I mean, there was one time in a, in a playoff game during warm-up. We spent 10 minutes sparing each other, and, and our, our, our guys on our side of the ice, their guys on their side of the ice, and we spent the half-half the half warm-up pushing and shoving and sparing each other. Didn't even warm up. This is, a, this is before a playoff game. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
0: those are those, those, those those some
1: major wars. There was a guy named Megaphone Mike. And I hated this guy. Like sometimes, you know, when the, when the rink gets a little bit silent, this guy had a megaphone. He'd yell out, "You know, Townsend, you suck!" Like they were always <laughs> on my ass in that building every time. So, so like, so years later, I'm playing in Houston, right? Mm-hmm. Like one time, one time I, I was uh, I was suspended, and I was at I was at the Glens Falls Civic Center, and okay, you're gonna think I'm crazy. I hope no one thinks I'm nuts, but I wanted to beat megaphone Mike. <laughs> So I'm sitting in my seat, right? And I see where he sits. He sits behind the bench. I saw him get up and go to the bathroom. And I thought, oh, here's my chance. So I start walking to the bathroom, right? And I swear to God, someone I saw stops me and says hello. And I started talking to this guy. Yeah. And I couldn't get away from him. And I see Mike come out of the bathroom. as a like, oh, shit, this lost my opportunity. I was going to go in there and say, hey, you got something to say to me now? You know, that kind of thing. And then see where it went. But I was going to fight him. I was going to fight microphone Mike. So, so years later, years later, Gordo was playing for us in Houston, right?
0: Yeah. And
1: we're in, Orla- we're in Orlando. So I'm coming off the ice after warm up, and some guy's leaning over the, over the top of the tunnel and he's yelling down to me. I look up. It's megaphone fricking Mike. He's down, to visit Gord. he's down there to visit Gord Krupke. And he goes, Hey Graham, how's it going, buddy? Hey, I'll see you after the game for a beer. And I'm like, Yeah, you'll fricking see me. All right. And I kept walking. So I'm going into the bar now and I go, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, I got to start something with this guy because I don't like him. Yeah. Get to the bar. He's got a huge smile on his face, two beers. He gives me a beer and he's, hey, man, how you doing? You know, cheers. You know, hey, man, I'm sorry about what, the, what happened in the past. You know, I was just doing my job i remember looking at the beer yeah it was open i go there's no freaking way i'm drinking this beer (laughs) like i kind of like snuck it over and snuck and i pretended i was drinking it you know yeah i put it down and i ordered another one just in case just in case (laughs) i was drinking that beer man but yeah he ended up being a great guy Mm -hmm. and he said listen grandma just have fun at the games you know like my, my job is to get you guys off your game i'll say whatever i gotta say and you know, I said, yeah, well, you do a good freaking job, buddy, because I used to hate you. I, I told him about the, the bathroom incident. I said, yeah, I almost fall you in the bathroom one time to kick your ass. And, oh, oh my God, thank God you didn't do that. You know? <laughs> but, yeah, so, so, that so, so another incident was um, we were at home, and they used to have more fans than we did yeah and so i'm coming on the ice I don't just remember how, how our locker room was set up but you come off the ice you have to kind of walk down that aisle way then down some steps and then through the zamboni door mm-hmm. and they used to put this uh this this rope up to keep the fans away from us and so there's these three guys i'm coming on the ice for warm-up for freaking warm-up and they're <laughs> chirping you know call me a pussy and all this stuff and thinking, oh, for crying out loud, these guys are here early. So the whole warm-up, they're on the glass, giving me the finger and all kinds of stuff, and I'm just ignoring them. I get off the ice. They're there again. Every time I got off the ice and on the ice for each intermission, they were there. So I come on for, come on for the third period, and there they are again. Yeah. So finally, I said, you know what? When this game's over, if those guys are there, I'm going to grab one of them and just shake the shit out of them. <laughs> so I get off the ice, and I'm looking for them. And what do I see? My wife has one of them by the throat, and she's pointing in his face. And I go, honey, what's going on here? She goes, I got this. He's <laughs> like, oh, okay. okay. So, so after it's over, they leave. And I go, what the hell was that all about? She says, well, um, one of the ushers told me that there are three guys fucking your husband. And she goes, okay. And, and he said they were, they were throwing racial slurs at him. See, I couldn't hear what they were saying through the glass.
0: Right, right, okay.
1: So my wife heard that they, my wife's white, by the way, she said yep. she heard their own racial slurs at me. Mm-hmm. So she went down and she went down to, to challenge one of them. She, was, she said her intention was to let them know that that was her husband. And that if they had the balls to say that to his face after the game, that they're welcome to stick around. Yeah. And then while she was saying it, her reaction, she just instinctively grabbed the guy. So she was basically asking the guy to stick around and say it to my face. And you know, if you have the balls to say it to his face, please stick around. I'd love to see you do it. Oh my and god! That's fine. But that's my wife. You don't mess with me. My wife will kill you. I love it. So, so, but 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 it backfired though. All the fans from Adirondack were saying, "Ah, Townsend, you pussy. Your wife has to fight your back." <laughs>
0: Thanks a lot, honey. <laughs> oh, listen, that she sounds. I I met her for about thirty seconds at the alumni thing a couple of years ago, so I don't know her, but yeah. she sounds terrific. So, uh, so I lo- I'm sure. Listen, I'm sure my wife would be the same way. So, uh, so yeah, that that's fantastic. But I mean, in a way, she did you a favor because the worst thing you could have done was actually grab one of these guys.
1: Yeah, I would have gotten in a lot of trouble for sure. Yeah. But mm-hmm. back in those days, I was—I wasn't the smartest guy. I—I I, I would have done it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she's definitely saved me from uh from getting in some serious trouble because there definitely would have been assault charges laid on me for sure. Yeah. And then and then, and then, and then later on, there'd be no green card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with that on my record.
0: So, <laughs> so the couple of years that you had—I mean, everywhere you played everywhere you played when you got a chance to play you put up points and when you're in the minors it always led to call-ups and this uh uh 91 92 you got seven games up with the islanders um and you play you know we talked about bomber already uh you want to talk a little bit uh of, you know you mentioned mick vakoda who islander legend the guy is i mean the guy's done everything he can do up here uh i've had him on the show him and i are really good friends uh even though it wasn't for a very long time what was it like playing with mickey uh,
1: again awesome um Mick's another great teammate would fight anybody anytime always there to help help you help us out you know help especially when you got called up he really was really welcoming you know what I mean so like like Mick's just a wonderful human being also man like I said you know there's not one single guy on that team that you could say you didn't like you know Mm -hmm. what I mean they're all and and there's such a good a closely knit group of guys you know like after practice the the whole team went out for lunch together and stuff like that you know that was a kind of a a a ritual you know and And so, so, like, Mick was one of the leaders in making that happen, too. Like, he's always really adamant that the guys will hang together and stuff. And so he was sort of a, a conduit to make all that
0: happen. Yeah. And uh, two other guys that you played with here, uh, Richie Pilon and Robbie DeMaio.
1: Yep. Two quiet guys. Mm-hmm. But, again, two fierce competitors. Wonderful teammates. Um, always there for you. Stick up for you know, stick up for you at the drop of a hat. But they're quiet leaders, eh? Like, just mm-hmm. they didn't really say a lot. They just did. They, they let their play do their talking for them, and um, just like I see Robbie DeMaio every year at these, this this uh, charity event down in Florida. He actually goes down there. It's uh the, uh, the, 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 the it's, it's uh, the Bruins alumni show up to this thing. It's a, it's a charity golf tournament for a um for a, a young hockey player who uh, passed away in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And um, he's always he's down there representing both the Bruins and the Lightning because a lot of the Lightning guys uh, show up to this thing. It's a, it's, a, it's in Tampa. Yeah, so I see I see Robbie every year in. And, uh, and, in uh, January,
0: probably won't be seeing him this year. Yeah, but uh, he's on there every other year though. Um, now, obviously, even though short time with the Islanders, I have to ask you about playing for Al Arbor. Oh man, legend, legend,
1: man. Um, I, I, I couldn't believe I was playing for Al Arbor. You know, again, seeing him win four Stanley Cups, and he was like a, was a coaching god. So yeah, it was, it was great playing for him again wonderful human being right i didn't really get to know him very like too close personally but just the way he trained the guys the way he talked to in the locker room the way he communicated he could just tell he cared about his
0: players you know and that's the that's the feeling i got from him mm-hmm. and in the seven games you did score one goal it was against quebec do you remember the goal yeah ray uh, ray ferraro told me um uh, next time he gets
1: a chance coming down the way just go right to the freaking net and that, that was on purpose. He, it, was, it was. what they call him pad pass today. He just ripped one off the goalie's pads and went right to me, right in the slot, and wide open net. It was easy. I just did what he told me to do. He said, he said if "You see me going down the wing? Just go right to the net." And that's all I did was stick on the ice, and anyone could have scored that goal. Played with Dominic great Ferraro, man. It was he and Benny Holt. Like we had we had a really good run there in the seven games. I got three points. Yeah,
2: kind of kind disappointed. I got sent
1: down that time. I remember. Um... Right after I got sent down, we, we went to lunch as a team. So I, I decided to go with the guys before going back to Troy. And, uh, and, and, and Fitzy got up and, and we were talking about hockey and kind of the BS that goes, the BS in the business side. And he goes, he goes, so, you know, Graham, for example, there's not one reason, no reason whatsoever that he gets sent down right now. He's playing awesome yeah. and there's no reason to send him down. Why is he being sent down? And he goes, this is, this is the bullshit of hockey. You know, he's right because I was playing really well. Yeah, You know, but for whatever reason, they sent me down, And, you know, I, 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 I you know, I, was, I, was, I bet you, I guarantee you, I mean, I was playing with Ray, Ray Ferraro and Ben Hogue. Yeah. Like, that's, that was a great third line. Mm-hmm. I think we, we had a lot of minutes and I guarantee I would have scored a point a game with those guys. I'm not, even, I'm not exaggerating. If yeah. I stayed with those two guys all year, I, I definitely would have been a point a game. And um, so they, there was no reason to send me down at that time. It's kind of BS, but that's, a, that's, a, that's hockey. Nothing you can do about it. Who knows why they sent me down. Yeah, I know I wasn't playing bad, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, so that's just the way it goes, though, you know.
0: And there's another guy that's done very well after himself after his playing days are over. Tom Fitzgerald is he, is he GM in New Jersey now, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, Fitzie man, he's done really well. He's, yeah, and it wasn't wasn't he with the Penguins when they won their cups?
0: I think so. Mostly. Yeah, I
1: mm-hmm. thought he was. So, so yeah, so he's doing. He's doing. I think Billy Garen was there too. So yeah, yes. they, he's done well for himself, and um, now he's running his own his own team. So. He's worked hard at it. He puts just as much effort into that as he did as a player, you know.
0: Yeah, which is a lot of effort. Everyone that's seen Tom Fitzgerald play knows. I know it's cliche to say, but literally never took a shift off. And everything he accomplished, he worked his ass off for.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, One guy you played with the following season, even though you only played two games, I assume you went to training camp with him, and he's someone that always, depending on who you ask, Especially if you're a teammate, you smile and you laugh. If you played against him, you probably hate his guts and want to kill him. And that was Darius Kasparaitis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I play I played with Darius Kasparaitis. Yeah, I did. Um I, I think I, I, I played against him actually before that when he was with Dynamo, uh Dynamo uh Moscow. He played we played an exhibition game oh, okay. when I was in Boston. And he was he was just this freaking fierce then, man. He was killing guys, The hip check. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was he was quite a quite a force, man. And to talk about a guy who just loved life, eh? He just 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 you could just tell he was happy, to, so happy to be out from under the iron curtain and in in a in a in a free country. You know what I mean, where mm-hmm. he can really express himself. And he certainly expressed himself. And I uh, just just again, uh, you can, you can't you can't pick a more fierce competitor than that guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. So you ended up, uh, after your time with the Islanders was over, you ended up in Ottawa. Was that uh, your relationship with Rick Bonus, uh, remembering you from the uh, Boston organization?
1: Yeah, it's both Rick and Ray. Ray's assistant general manager. So that's how I ended up getting that job. And, um, you know, I got a funny story. Uh, Rick Bonus um, had, had me come to his office before training camp started. I actually had a really good summer of training. I was in literally the best shape I've ever been in. And uh, Rick sits down and says, okay, Graham, I want to explain how training camp works. And he goes, "Um, you know, mo- usually we have two teams, an A team and a B team. Uh, this team, we're going to have three. The A team is the guys that we expect to make Ottawa, and said that's you know, that, which is normal. Yeah. The B team is guys that we expect to be playing in, in the American League. And then the C team is guys that we expect to be playing in the UHL. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, uh, Joe, I just come off a, th- a 29-goal season, right? Yep. He looks at me and says, you're, you're on the C team. Oh, My heart dropped yeah i got pissed and, yeah. and looking back now i know rick did this on purpose i said rick this is bullshit yeah i can't believe you're doing this i said but you know what fine i'll go on that c team but I'm, i guarantee within two days i'm going to be on that freaking a team <laughs> and then two days later i was on the a team there you go there you go mm-hmm. so he, he was just doing the light of fire into my ass like i didn't see it that way at the time right i was just pissed yeah i couldn't he had the audacity to put me on the freaking C team. Are you crazy? So, but, but he knew what he's doing. He coached me for two years. He knew how to get me pissed off. He knew when when I got mad, I played well. You know, yeah. and I was angry. And he was. I'm looking back now. I know he's. That's what he's trying to do. Like he totally, it was totally, total mind manipulation. But I needed it. You know, after, if I, got too, I didn't play well
0: after he told you. He turned around. He probably gave some wink and goes, "Watch what he's gonna do." Because like you say, it, he knew. He knew the kind of guy you were. So, right,
1: exactly. I now, went crazy on that first practice. I was like, "I'm not playing with these freaking guys." No offense to those guys if yeah. you're listening. No offense, but you know, I'm coming off a really big year in the American League. I was like number one in the league in scoring percentage mm-hmm. and uh, second in the league in power play goals. And this guy's going to throw me in the UHL. I don't think so. That's <laughs> not happening. No freaking way.
0: Now, a lot of times when teams aren't very good, uh, one way to draw attention and um, you know bring fans in the seats. You, you load your team up with toughness. And this season, you played 14 games with Ottawa. I'm just going to rattle off some names, and then I'm going to ask you about two guys. Uh, just so, so people know, this Ottawa team, uh, I think the two mainstays, of course, were Dennis Vial and Billy Heward, uh, guys you battled against the American League. Uh, also, Troy Millette, a uh, guy I really like, Scott Levins, uh, Francois LaRue, Herb Raglin, and two guys I want to ask you about, uh, one with Islander ties and one without. Uh, first guy is uh, Gordy Denit.
1: Gordon Neen what a great dude, man! Now I got to tell you, we we weren't really a close team.
0: Okay,
1: um, it wasn't. I mean, at least I didn't see, I didn't see it that way. But mm-hmm. um, we, 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 losing so much, like I I, I hated losing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm sure everyone else did too. But I, I hated losing the way we did too. And I, I'm talking double digits and stuff. It was embarrassing. Yeah. So I don't really feel that we were a close team, mm-hmm. and that might have been part of the problem. Um, because they are just starting out and they're throwing us all together from different places and we didn't really have a time, have time to gel and get to know each other and like each other and love each other and stuff. Right. right. But Gore Dineen, um, I've, I knew him from years before because I used to train with, with all the Deneen boys up, up at Glens Falls in the, in the summer yeah. when I was playing calendars. Mm-hmm. So I got to know him really well. And he's, he's a, he's a great dude, man. He's just a soft spoken guy.
2: Yeah.
1: Again, just a nice person um herb Ragland, i didn't really t- talk to him too much um mm-hmm. i hung out with billy heward quite a bit so yeah. he and i became good friends and dennis vial he didn't talk to anybody i okay. didn't talk at all <laughs> I, I don't think he, like i like i never heard him say a word yeah you know mm-hmm. and so i didn't really I, I wasn't really close to him either but uh, definitely bill heward he and i hung out together all the time during training camp and mm-hmm. uh, i I I, cons- I I considered myself close to billy you know for sure yeah. And uh, I, I don't remember Scott Levins at all. He might have gotten there after me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't remember him. But and her, like I said, Herb Ragland, I didn't really talk to him too much. And yeah, it wasn't a lot of lot of closeness on that team at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, probably my favorite guy from those early Ottawa years is a guy I didn't mention yet. I wanted to save him for last. And that was Darcy Lowen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Chainsaw. Oh my, oh, my God. Funny story about Darcy. So he's playing in Rochester my rookie year. And uh, there's a scuffle in the corner. We're in Rochester. And this, this freaking five foot eight, five foot nine guy is like looking like he wants to fight me. Right. Yeah. So I don't know anybody in the league. I don't know anybody. So I'm like, I'm going to kill this guy. So I drop the gloves mm-hmm. and I got to tell you, this guy hit me with so many lefts. I thought I was a freaking Democrat. <laughs> I go to the penalty box. Okay. And I'm sitting there with Lou Crawford and Lou's Lou's kind of chuckling. Right. Yeah. And I go, what's so funny, man? He goes, well, you that was a good fight. <laughs> and he's laughing, right? I go, What? What do you mean? He goes, he goes, You took him lightly, didn't you? I go, well, Yeah. He goes, yeah, because you thought he because he was small, you are is gonna be easy, right? I go, yeah. He goes, Do you know who that is? I go, No. He goes, that's Darcy freaking Lowen, you dummy. One of the toughest mother effers in the league. Yep. I go, Yes? Yeah. Because you know he goes he goes, he goes, kid, learn from this. He goes, Never, ever, ever take a guy lightly, yeah. no matter who it is. Yep. I go, Yeah, lesson learned. But yeah, man, he, he he beat the crap out of me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, he's oh, tough. He,
1: oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, and so they called they called him what they call him chainsaw. Chainsaw. yeah, chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Because he played like a freaking chainsaw. It never stopped and cut everything everything down in its way. It was, <laughs> it was like a. Uh, he went to Vegas and they had another guy named uh, I think Mark Rogers. They called him Buzzsaw, and they mm-hmm. had him. Uh, they had Darcy Chainsaw. They both played on the same line. Mm-hmm. They were they they both played exactly the same way. Imagine <laughs> two guys like that on one line.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. 12. Yeah, I love Darcy. Always one of my favorite players, and and especially you know talk about those early Ottawa teams that weren't very good. So a lot of these physical guys got a chance to play, and I had seen Darcy play a little bit in Rochester, but you know fortunately or unfortunately he seemed like he got an opportunity on some bad Ottawa teams, and, and just, man, I love that guy, tough as nails, heart and soul. I, I love Darcy Lowen for sure. Yeah, he
1: never stopped it. There's a guy that literally gave 100% yeah. every shift. I mean, he, he, you know, like you said, it is cliche, but he never took a shift off, yeah. ever, yeah. ever. And, and, and he get, you, got 100%, you got 100% out of him. He, he squeezed, you could squeeze. Those coaches he had squeezed everything they could out of that guy, and, and, and he literally got the most out of him.
0: And you know? in, uh, in Prince Edward Island, you played with another Darcy that I'm a big fan of, a Darcy who played against Darcy Lowen in the Western League. Uh, yep. Tough defenseman, Darcy Simon. Love Darcy Simon. What are your yeah. memories of him?
1: <laughs> I'm not a great dude. Funny as hell. Yeah. Um, like goofy guy, but again, really smart. I think he's a realtor now in the, out the, of out the Maritimes. Okay. I think that's what he's doing now. But uh, Darcy, Darcy, really tough, stay-at-home defenseman, you know. Not not a not a big mouth guy, quiet, but um but, but when he when he spoke it was always something funny coming out of his mouth, eh? Like he was just a, a dry sense of humor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I really liked him a lot, man.
0: Um even though you you know, you had said that you had grown tired of the fighting, uh, you know, and just that you didn't want to be pigeonholed into that role. Uh you did and again, I didn't see these fights, I just know it happened. I know you had a two fight game um against Donald Bashir when he was a Fredericton. Do you remember those fights?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, I do. I do. Um so, yeah, when I was, when I was in that, that division, that's a, that, was a, that was probably the toughest division in the American League, right? Yeah. Uh, arguably, because you had you had Cape uh, Breton, you had um, the Fredericton with, with Brashear, and, uh, of course, uh, every once in a while, uh, Robert was there. I think both Robert's brothers were still there. And Jerry and Mario, Fleming
0: was probably uh, still there, right? Was that? Jerry Fleming was still there?
1: Jerry Fleming was there, exactly. So, so that team was tough. And then I think Moncton was in the league at the yep. time, too. Mm-hmm. And they, had, they had a tough team. Yeah so you really had so and, and of course like st john's they had the friggin frank the animal by lois there yeah so uh, so you had to you had to step up and so yeah i i fought a lot more because I, I wanted to get called back up so i fought fresh air twice mm-hmm. and in fact what happened was um i got called up and we we're playing montreal at home and so after pregame randy sexton wanted to see me in the mm-hmm. stands so we go up to the stands right and we're sitting there and he's Talking about asking me how I'm doing and how how everything's going and all that. Then he starts talking about Montreal, and how much he hates the Canadians. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I hate the Canadians too. <laughs> he looks down at the ice He says, see that Lyle Odelang guy I go. Yeah. I go yeah. He goes, I hate that guy. I go, I don't, I don't like him either. He goes, I want you to fight him tonight. Mm-hmm. First time a GM ever told me that, eh? Yeah. Like I hate that. I hate. Yeah. it. Like I went back to my to my um my hotel. My wife was up with my son. And I was so upset that I was being forced, like, being told to fight. Right. Like, I didn't want to play. Mm-hmm. And, I, got, and, and I, I don't mind telling you this, but I was so full of anxiety that I was in tears. Yeah. And so, of course, now the game starts, right? I go, okay, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. And so I'm on the ice, and it's and Lyle's not out. This Brash here, right? So I just tapped him in the shin pads. I go, hey, Brash, we got to go, man. Mm-hmm. And he just, he just ignored me. Like, yeah. I just fought the guy twice, like, literally two weeks ago. Yeah. And I know I'm certainly. I know he wasn't scared of me. Right, but you don't want to fight, right? So he's skating around the ice, and I'm tapping on the shin pads. Dude, we gotta go, we gotta go. And he's like, you know, he didn't even say anything; he didn't tell to f off or nothing. Yeah, he just so I figured, okay, I figured, okay, I'm just gonna play. So then later in the game, Peter Popovic has the puck on, you know, just inside his blue line, and I freaking ran him. Mm-hmm. I turn around, boom, in my face, light line, just sucker punches me. Yeah, down I go, mm-hmm. and he ends up winning that fight. And right, this is this is why I. I decided I was not going to fight unless I felt like it. Yeah. Right after that game, I got sent down because I lost that fight. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? This little prick told me to do this. Mm -hmm. I get soccer, I got jumped and he sends me down. So I was like, screw you, man. I'm only going to fight if I want to. And that's kind of, then I went to the IHL the next year and I fought a lot in that league because I wanted to establish myself. I wanted guys to just leave me alone. So I fought everybody. Yeah. And then they have
0: to fight after that. Uh, it seemed like a lot of guys in a similar boat to you where you had played a few years in the American League and now the IHL, uh, it just seemed like it it just blew up almost overnight. I mean, it was always a, you know, it was a developmental league for a long time and then it just seemed like it was just full of these independent teams. It blew up. Now you're a guy that's playing a lot of time in the minors. You ride in these buses. Now you have the opportunity to go to another league where you're going to make probably make more money. You're going to be flying airplanes. You're going to be playing in better cities. Was that the allure of the IHL at the time? Oh, definitely.
1: Um, I I was still hesitant because, you know, you kind of get used to what you get used to. Yeah. And I I actually wanted to stay in the American league. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, I didn't like the money I was being offered by Hershey. And I actually signed a contract um, agreement. It wasn't a contract Mm -hmm. and I broke it. Yeah. So they were pissed at me, but, I, um, I, I just, it was a contract proposal. That's what it was
0: with Hershey. And I you said, sorry, with Hershey,
1: with Hershey. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't like the deal. So, so like the funny thing happened, I was going to go there because it's the only deal I could get. Mm-hmm. And, um, and literally the day after I signed it back it back to the team, um, Pete Denineen called me mm-hmm. and said, um, Oh no, I'm sorry. I went, I, went to, I went to train up in Glens Falls. That's what it was. I went to train in Glens Falls that mm-hmm. day, and I just sent the contract back to uh, the contract proposal back to the Hershey Bears. Yeah. And then at that skate, Pete Deneen offered me a job with Houston. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking Houston. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm thinking Texas. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, I'm going down there. Yeah. So then I get home. He calls me, and he's trying to convince me to go there. I said, well, you no, know, dude, I, I, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to Hershey, man. How much are they gonna pay you? I told yeah. them. They go, okay, we'll give you more. I said, well, really? How much more? They gave me a number. I said, well, can you do better than that? Mm-hmm. And he kept going up and up and up. Yeah. Then I said, okay, well, how about us? How about uh, you know, like bonuses? And he starts throwing bonuses at me. How about a signing bonus? Do a signing bonus at me? And, and <laughs> I started asking for flights for my kid to go back home by my stepson to see his his dad. Yeah. Like you know, he gave me all that. He gave me everything I wanted. I was like, holy shit. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll sign. Yeah. So I called her. She said, I'm not coming well, you signed a contract. I said, no, I signed a contract proposal. Yeah. And I had the contract and I hadn't signed it yet. Yeah. I said, I'm not signing this contract. we're going to sue you. I said, go ahead. I'm not not coming down there. Yeah. Going to Houston. Mm -hmm. So I went to Houston and reluctantly, I remember getting a map. I I called my wife that day. She she thought we're going to Hershey. Mm -hmm. And right after I agreed to go to Houston, I said, oh yeah, honey, change of plans. Like literally an hour after. (laughs) I was going to Hershey I said we're going to Houston she goes what yeah Houston <laughs> I had to look up on the freaking map dude I didn't really know exactly where it was
0: yeah I
1: looked up on a map Go, oh my god look how far it is so I get down there and it ended up being the best place ever
0: um yeah.
1: we played our home opener against uh Atlanta the defending champs mm-hmm. and we had 15,000 people in the building so we go into a shootout and Terry Ruskowski didn't like me I guess I don't know I don't know he didn't respect my skill whatever I don't think he thought I could play right who knows yeah so he's picking all these guys. He's picking the right guys. He's, you know, he's got Dave Tippett's going to go and and uh, um, Scott O'Neill. You know, those are all the right guys. And then he gets down to like seven, seven and eight. And then, no offense to you, Yosi, I know you're out there. I love you, but he picked Mike over me, <laughs> And I mean, come on, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking Yosi. Come on, man. No, I know, like, I know. Over me. So he goes <laughs> in he misses. So now. The coach is looking at the bench, and I know this prick's going to pick a defenseman next, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Not me. So we make eye contact. I throw my hands up in the air. And I go, really? <laughs> and, he goes, and reluctantly throws me out there. So, so the, during the shootout, our goalie, Toy Gamble, is going crazy, right? Every time he makes a save, he's yelling at the bench, come on, come on, because, you know, it's stressful for a goalie, right? And he's yeah, like, come on. Right? So he's getting pissed, right? So I skate down to Troy. I tap them in the pads, I go, "Don't worry, buddy, it's over." And I skate down, I score, yeah. and the fans go freaking bananas mm-hmm. And I said, "I found my home, man. I love this place. Yeah. You know like, I loved Houston and, and the IHL. the money was great, but but just this, this, you know playing in front of 15,000 people a game. You go to Orlando, there's 12,000 people there, you go to Detroit, there's another 15,000 there. you know, you play in front of these big crowds, you're flying everywhere. you know it, it was great. You know, it, it was like being in the NHL. Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah, we ended up being on, on, uh, on you know, we, were, we, were, we were covered by ESPN because they had a lockout that yep. year, so mm-hmm. they had to have some hockey. Our, our goalie, Troy Gamble, got in trouble because of that. He ends up, he, he's from Vancouver, right? Yeah. So he, a, he leased a car, he leased a, uh, an Explorer, and in the lease, you're not allowed to leave the country, right? Mm-hmm. So he left the country, of course, and uh, how did, so what happened was, um, he gets up one morning, and his car's gone. <laughs> He calls, uh, you know, the dealer. He goes, yeah, I was watching uh, TSN Game of the Week, and I saw you, you were playing in Houston. I <laughs> to bring the car down then, buddy, so he sent the repo in to get it.
0: No, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if
1: you weren't on TV, the guy never would have known to turn up the country.
0: That is hilarious.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, when Troy signed with Houston, I'm sure he, you know, he didn't expect us to be on, on TSN every week. But, exactly. And then we were one of the featured teams because, you know, Houston's, you know, being the city it is and all that. Yeah. We had, we were on there a lot. We were, we were, they had a lot of our games on uh, the TSN game of the week or whatever it was. So, yeah. so, so he, he, he was seen every single week and this guy got pissed and sent the repo man to get his car back.
0: That's hilarious. <laughs> did anything, did it ever get better with uh, Roscoe or no?
1: No, no. What happened was, um, so my second year, I was the assistant captain my first year. The second year, we, I think we played about eight preseason games, maybe 10. Mm-hmm. And he calls me to his office and, uh. He says, I'm taking your letter away. I go, well, why is that? He goes, well, you're not going to play much this year. I go, how come? He goes, "Um, well, you had a really bad training camp. I go, I go, Terry, are you you on drugs? I go, I've got seven goals in 10 games. Well, well, you scored most of those goals at the beginning of camp. I said, I go, bullshit. I go, what's it matter? I go, seven goals are seven goals, you dummy. Yeah. And I was pissed. I, I, I didn't like him. Yeah. And I, I, Roscoe, if you're listening, sorry, man, I didn't like you. You mm. probably didn't like me, but that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. So he goes to me, well, you're not going to play. So I, I stood up and I looked at him. I said, listen, man, I don't give a shit what you think. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the season, when the season's over, I'm going to have 20 goals, whether you like it or not. And he kind of smirked, right? And, and he had a reason to. Like, How am I going to score 30 goals if I don't play, right? Right. So sure enough, he's sitting me out game after game and, and I'm being interviewed by the media. They, I scored 19 goals here before, now this guy sent me out all of a sudden. I'm not playing. like, come on. So the media is wondering why I'm not playing. My teammates are – everyone's kind of – you know, everyone's commenting that I'm getting screwed, right? But I, I wasn't buying into it. I was just like – you know, I was being positive, being a professional. So finally, we're going to go to Milwaukee, and, and we're going to practice in Houston, hop on a plane, fly to Milwaukee, play the game, and come back. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not playing, right? So I don't want to go on the road trip. You know, because it's a 45-minute drive to the airport, and we got to fly there, play the game, fly back, drive back, you know, middle of the night, 45 minutes on the bus, and I didn't want to do it right. So, but then all of a sudden, I said to myself, you know what? This prick has not told me yet that I'm not playing, so I'm going to make him tell me to my face. And so I get on the bus to go to the airport, and he, he gets on, he's putting his bags up, and all of a sudden, he makes eye contact with me, and I, I look at him, and I kind of I wake at him. He doesn't have the gut to tell me I'm not. taking can look on his face. Oh my God, I forgot to tell him he's not playing. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say anything to me. So I'm like, I'm like, is this is this prick gonna make me drive, drive all the way to the airport and then drive all the way back home? Like I, I could be sitting in my freaking pool right now.
2: Yeah. And so I get to the airport and
1: I'm pissed, right? My trainer's handing out me, handing out my mail money. And it's all pre-sorted in envelopes with your name on it. And of course, mine's not in there because I'm not supposed to be on the trip. Yeah. And so I go, Terry. My, my, my money won't be in the unit. I have to go to the ATM and uh, give me 100 bucks, dude. So he goes gets me the money. And then he starts handing out the boarding pass. It's going to be a commercial back then. Of course, I don't have a ticket. I go, we'll, we'll get a ticket, dude. So he gets me a ticket. We fly, we fly to Milwaukee, but we can't land. We have to land in Chicago because there's, like, heavy winds in Milwaukee. We take a bus to Milwaukee. We get to the hotel. There's no power because of the wind. So we have to eat eat, like, turkey sandwiches for a pre game meal. <laughs> so now we got to walk up the freaking stairs to get to our rooms, right? So imagine the stairwell's pitch black. You can't hear anything but our feet stomping on the steps and me bitching and swearing and cursing out Terry. Like, I can't believe I'm effing on this trip. This is bullcrap. And guys are like, calm down, Tony. Shut up. You know, <laughs> I'm just pissed. I to get, to get in my room and I'm room with the captain, Curtis Hunt, and I'm just bitching the whole time, like, just whining. And Bonnie Hunts goes, you know, Tony, I'm sick of your whining. Why don't you just shut the hell up?
0: Mm-hmm. And why don't you just go
1: on warm-up and stick it up his ass? At least since you're here, you may as well just go off for warm-up. So I go, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So I get off for warm-up. I get off the ice. I, I got off early. I usually skated the whole 20 minutes. I got off early because, again, I was in a bad mood. And what do I see on the training table? Mark Frears getting his knee looked at. I go, Frears, what happened to you? Oh, well, I twisted my knee. My, my knee in uh, warm-up. I go, oh, I didn't see him get hurt, eh? Yeah. So now I gotta play. So, so Terry comes in and tells me I gotta play. I go, yeah, no shit, Terry. So he gives me two shifts in the first period and I score, right? <laughs> I went to the friggin' bench and his jaws dropped and I, I, I was laughing. I looked at him. I shrugged my shoulders. I sat down. So then I get a couple shifts in the second. I score again. Ended up, Ended up scoring two goals that game. The next game, same thing. Five or six shifts. Two more goals. The third game, same thing. Five or six shifts, I score again. So now he pulls me to his office and goes, "Man, you make me look like an idiot." And they I go, "Yeah, you do look pretty stupid, dude. I got five goals in three games." I said, "Hey, remember when I told you I was going to get 30, I was going to get twenty? He goes, "Yeah." I changed my mind. I said, "You should keep playing me the way you are. I'm going to get 50.
2: <laughs> so fortunately, he got uh, he got fired. I mean, again, Terry, sorry, man, I, I couldn't stand playing for the guy. He mm-hmm. got fired.
1: And um, I tell the story all the time. I failed to get, um, you know, 20 goals. Yeah. And then I tell the story. I raise my middle finger. I say I actually got 21. <laughs> <laughs> I got that extra goal just for him. <laughs> okay. And then I'm the serious. I got 21 that year. Yeah. And I laughed. I was laughing my ass off. I told him. Like, I told him I was going to score. I told him I was going to do it. He ain't going to stop me. Yeah.
2: You know. So, like I said, when I when I when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And,
1: uh, and I and I, and I just knew that he couldn't stop me from, from scoring. I knew he couldn't do it. Yeah. And I wasn't going to let him. You yeah. Know? And so, yeah, that's what happened. He up, being up, having a good – I had a good year. The team I had a terrible year. We didn't make the playoffs. And the next year, we actually went to the semifinals and had a good run. And it was, it was a good experience, but that was the end of my run in Houston. I was there for three years, and then I was kind of done and went to be a player-assistant coach in the lower league in, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and started my coaching career.
0: Now, one of the guys you played with in Houston uh, is a guy that I'm I'm friendly with on uh, on Facebook and everything. A guy I have a lot of respect for that I've I've watched since he's in the Western League, and that's Steve Jakes. What do you remember about yeah. playing with Steve?
1: Oh my God, I remember. I'll tell you this: This is all you need to know about Steve Jakes. We were we're in Kansas City. He fights Dody Wood, okay. Mm. And early in the fight, like, Jakes is not a big guy. He's about 185 pounds, right? Probably about six feet. He's not huge. But he's toughest because he gets punched right, in, right on the bridge of his nose, like right between the eyes, and it split him open for probably a good, I don't know, two three inch cut. But it was a, one of those cuts that's so deep you can all all you see is a, the white fat in your face, mm-hmm. and just gushing blood. It like gets in his eyes; he can't see. Right, and and but he, he, he wants like I would have stopped fighting right there. I'm sorry, but I would have not. Jason, he keeps throwing punches. He can't see what he's doing. Yeah, and don't, he's just like like picking his spots. And, banging him in the, in, in the same spot over and over again, bam, bam, bam. So finally the fight ends, right? And Jakes, he's on the training table getting, getting stitched up. So t- I'm, I'm in, he's, he's my best friend on the team, so I'm in there making sure he's okay, right? Standing by, standing by the, uh, the operating table, whatever you want to call it. And Terry comes in, and uh he goes, hey, Terry, put me out there against him again. I'm going to fight him again. And, <laughs> and, and Terry goes, dude, you, you're not playing. Because both his eyes are almost swollen shut, eh? He goes, yeah. So you're not playing. He goes, yes, I am. I'm going to fight him again. No, you're not, J.C. And they start arguing. I go, Jason, you got to be reasonable, dude. You can't fight it. Like, wait till you heal and then go him again some other time. Nope, yeah. nope, I'm going to fight him again. So Terry wouldn't let him play. Yeah. <laughs> so and then the very, very next game, game, he goes and fights some guy, I forget
2: the kid's name, from, from Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And the kid, the kid puts him open again. He hadn't even healed yet. <laughs> and
1: just, that cut must have been opened up like at least four or five times after before it actually healed. And this guy was crazy, man. He just yeah. didn't care. Yeah. You know? And he, he, he fought everybody and anybody. And he was all, oh, he won a lot of his fights, most of them. But uh, holy smokes, you couldn't
0: stop Jacy, man. Well, I did reach out to him and ask him about you, of course. And uh, similar, he loves you. Uh, and basically he said, Graham is the personification of character. He's a great guy to talk with about racism because he isn't motivated by politics. In fact, the most powerful story he told me is how he reconciled with his college coach who said some inappropriate things, which we've already discussed. Um, Excuse me. He confronted him in a mature way, and his coach repented in a genuine way, but the college gave in to political forces and ruined the coach's career we all hate this no matter what minority group we belong to. People are people and we all need to be given an opportunity to answer for ourselves. So uh, that's what Jakesy said about you. and just like, uh, he loves you. And just like all your ex teammates, it seems like uh, that, I, that I reached out to, obviously they all have a ton of respect for you. Yeah.
1: I, I, the, the feelings are mutual too. I mean, Jakesy and I were really close. We both have a, um, a deep rooted faith in God and, um, mm-hmm. you know, he helped keep hold me accountable uh, during my time in Houston with him and, you know, we, we actually used to have a, a, a Bible study before every game. at home, And, oh. and uh, even on the road, he and I would get together and just like, uh, just sort of pray before the game and pray for safety and stuff like that. Cause I, I, that's a big thing. I always, I always used to pray for safety of my opponents and my teammates, mm-hmm. of course, myself. Because hockey is an unpredictable, violent game. And, you know, it's controlled mayhem. You
0: know mm-hmm. what I mean? And um, yeah. it, you, you can literally die in a yeah. hockey game. Yep. So I was always praying for safety because I always felt that, you know,
1: God was looking over me and looking over my teammates. And some people, some people kind of cringe when you talk about, you know, faith and, and sports. But, you know, to me it's all, all the same because I, I believe hockey is a microcosm of life. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, you, live, you live a lifetime of experiences in a 60-minute hockey game. Mm-hmm. Like you go through a whole gamut of emotions, hatred, anger, fear. You know, anxiety, all this, all this stuff, and you win, you lose, you, you win a little battle here, you you lose another battle, like ten seconds later, you know, you have conflict with referees, coaches, teammates, opposition. I mean, it's everything you experience in life, you can experience in a sixty-minute hockey game.
2: Yeah.
1: And you do that eighty times a year, you know, it, it's it's crazy. So 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 to me, God's God's a part of that. Cause God's a part of my my everyday life, and so God. I don't understand why people don't, well, I do understand because people really understand what sports is. Sports Mm -hmm. is a life. It's a, it's a, it's a short lifetime in a 60 minute period, you know, and it's a snippet. And and so, yeah, God is a part of it. I rely on God for, you know, to to keep me safe and also to keep me from doing things that I shouldn't be doing and saying things I shouldn't be doing. You know what I mean? Even though at times I definitely did slip up and, and make bad decisions, but, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all in all,
0: God's a big part of my life, and a big part of my hockey life too. No, that's great. That's great. I mean, it's a, faith is an individual thing. So, uh, like you say, I know people cringe. For me, it's just uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not very religious. I do believe in, I do believe in God, but uh, you know, I know it's like you say, it's like everything else. People uh, believe at different different levels and everything, and I, I think it's great. So, uh, there was a game in a game against Kansas City. You were lined up for a faceoff. And uh, I think Trevor Robbins was the goalie of the Blades. He was on the bench, and I believe he said something to you, and you actually went to the bench to confront him. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, it's almost like, um, yeah, that was in Houston. Yeah. And I, I don't remember what he said, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he may, you know, the thing is, it's even like the Chris King thing, you know, like things were denied. but Yeah. Sometimes I hear things I want to hear. Sometimes I, you know what I mean? It's one of those yeah. things where I can't remember yeah. what he said mm-hmm. or what I thought he said. Yeah. But I thought he said something racial. Okay. And, you know, this, and he may not have. Right. He may not have. I don't know. I can't remember. I was, just remember hearing something and I just got incensed. Yeah. And I went over and said, hey, I want to say that again or something. He didn't say anything. Yeah. So I sneered and then their whole team came after me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then I'm out, I'm in the penalty box and all I all I like see was red and I just wanted to go after that guy, I mean, yeah, goalie yep. or anybody else my way. But honest to God, I don't remember what he said. Yeah, I just and like I said, he probably didn't say anything. Yeah. Um, I could have just been on edge that day, just in a bad mood. I don't freaking know, but mm-hmm. but um, you know, I thought
0: I heard him say something, and um, I went after him. So I, I honestly cannot even tell you what he said or what I thought he said. I thought it was like racial slur or something
1: mm-hmm. he, he may not
0: have said anything who knows right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and, and hey, i man. didn't <laughs> that was nothing that i read about it was just it just so happened that the game was televised and the tv cameras caught the whole thing so uh it was uh i remember you know when i was watching i remember watching it at the time and then when i was doing the research for this i have it on on video so it was just something i was curious about and, and uh, i figured i had to ask i didn't know what it was i mean he could have said that your breath smelled as far as i knew i was just curious because you know, yeah. guys, guys chirp all the time. And I always I, like when it, when I watch it, I'm like, I wonder what he said. And I'm like, it's funny. Cause a lot of times, especially goalies, maybe they figure they could chirp and no one's going to call them on it because they're goalies. And I'm like, Oh, someone, someone actually made, <laughs> held the goalie accountable because no matter what he said, like I said, if he said your breath smelled or whatever, he's a goalie probably figures, oh, he's not going to pay attention. And I got to imagine when you turned around, he, he had to be like, Oh fuck, what did I do? <laughs> you know, so, so I just Ronnie. thought I thought it was yeah. funny. <laughs>
1: I remember I, I was I was only focused on him. There are guys grabbing me and punching at me, and I was I was completely ignoring them. I, all I saw, I was just focused on one person. Everybody else was just an a, 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 a unnecessary distraction. I wasn't even paying attention. I was so pissed. But I like I said, I don't even remember what what he said, mm-hmm. um, if he said anything. Yeah. I, I, but uh, yeah, I just I just got pissed and, and reacted the way I did. Like I said, I. I, I've done a lot
0: of things that I regret doing and that's one of them. I, I regret reacting the way I did uh, and uh to catch to what may have been nothing. I got you. Uh, one guy you fought that year that I want to ask you about, he has Islander ties. He's a good friend of mine and a uh, uh, guy you battled against and that's Mike McWilliam who was with Denver Grizzlies at the time. Do you remember that fight? Yeah, yeah. Another another
1: similar, similar to the Dino fight. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I go- and you know I'm a, I'm not making excuses, but man, we were at altitude, man. I was yeah. like dying. So yeah, <laughs> it was our first game in Denver, and I, I, oh my God, I should not have fought him at that time. Again, yeah. like end of a shift, and no way should I have been in a fight with him because someone like that, you have to be at your best. Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, like Mike, well, Mike, I, I've I've since become friends with with Mike eh? A. Yep. The alum, alumni events and on, on the island, and mm-hmm. what a freaking awesome guy, man. Yes, you know. Yep. Like I never thought he was a good dude at the time, but
0: <laughs> now <laughs> oh, he's a scary dude.
1: Yeah, man. He's huge. And yeah. you know, just threw, threw bombs. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I just I seatbelted just, him too that fight. Yeah. yeah. I, I, was, I was not ready to to take on William at the time. So yeah, a great guy. And <laughs> I'm so happy you got an opportunity. He won a championship there with them that year. I think he won too. He might've been with them again in uh, yep. Salt Lake. I'm not sure.
0: Back to back. Yep.
1: Great guy. He played. He played. He got to play with the Islanders that time because of that. He yep. Got called up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. All oh, good, man. Um, and maybe this is something to do with um, with Roscoe. The your second year in Houston, you actually played three games in Minnesota. How did that come about?
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, so uh, I'm, I'm at the rink, you know, for practice. I'm, I get dressed. I'm walking out of the ice. And Pete Dineen is at the gate looking, looking out on the ice surface. He's, he's never down there. He's always up in his – he's got a window from his office that he can watch practice from. Yeah. So as soon as I turns around, I go, oh, so where would I get traded to this time? And he laughs. and goes, well, actually, you're being loaned to Minnesota. I said, oh, I was just kidding, dude. He goes, <laughs> yeah, so well, when do I have to go? He goes, well, you got to go. You got to leave in an hour. I said, so you waited until I got dressed. And walked onto the ice surface before telling me that it's not like you just figured it out ten seconds ago. Why didn't you? I'm sure he knew like an hour ago. Mm. I go, you could have told me before that, man. Like, he made me get dressed. I was so pissed off. Like again, just just stupid stuff, man. Eh? Like yeah. just busting my chops for nothing. So I had, I had to get home, pack my bag. He didn't tell me how long I was going to be gone for. Yeah, I had to call my wife at work and say, okay, I'm leaving. Uh, you know, my son. My son was in like I think he was 11 at the time. So. Yeah. He, uh, i'm not going to be home for seth when he gets home from school and i have to get on the plane so i got yeah. on the plane and flew to la we played we played a game so we played the the, uh, the um ice dogs the mm-hmm. la ice dogs Yep. and then we get on the plane we fly to vegas right the next morning we're going to play we're going to play la vegas and then back in los angeles and then back to minnesota presumably. Mm-hmm. right um so anyway we get we get to vegas um sometime in the afternoon or whatever And we have practice. And you won't believe this freaking team, man. We get on the ice. The coach, uh, Frank Saratori, who's now coaching at the Air Force Academy, one of the most highly disciplined environments in the world. Mm -hmm. And he diagrams a drill. We do the drill, right? So now it's time for the second drill. We go back to the board. He starts diagramming the next drill. And then Ivan Corvo and a bunch of the guys start skating off the ice. (laughs) And so they're all leaving, and it's just me and this guy named Andy Schneider who I played with in Ottawa. Yep. We're sitting there, and the coach is diagramming the drill. He's finished diagramming. He looks around, and all the guys are already walking through the gate. He goes, guys, where are you going? <laughs> Ivan Orver goes, hey, we're done. Practice is over. He goes, <laughs> no, 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 we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Ivan goes, yeah, we are. See ya. We're going gambling. <laughs> and they left. So the coach looks at me. He's stunned. He looks at me and Andy. He goes, I guess we're done. And the <laughs> coach gets off the ice, right? So I look at Andy. He'd been there for a couple of weeks. And I go, dude, is, is this how it always is this here? He goes, yeah, the players run the team here. Oh, shit. And I go, well, well, I'm not leaving. I mean, me as well. You want to just do some drills together and at least get something out of this practice? He goes, yeah. So he, he and I stayed on the ice for an hour just mm-hmm. working on individual stuff and doing some drills together. Yeah. And that's when I when I thought, okay, I don't want to play here. I want to get out of this place. I, I, I need discipline. I need structure. I can't play on a team like this. Yeah. So I didn't say anything to anybody. I just, I just went, went back to L.A., played my third game, mm-hmm. and then I got the word that I'm going back to, to Houston the next day. So I stayed in L.A. that night, hopped on a flight back to Houston, and I don't know why they loaned me for – I was there for five – well, I guess it ended up being like four days, four or five days, but I couldn't believe it. I, I just loaned me off for a few games and then bring me back. It was just I don't even know why they did that.
0: Yeah, that's but, weird.
1: But I, I went back and I got another 21. That was my third year in Houston, actually. I believe it was my third year. I, thought it was my, I think it was my third That's year. That's your second year. Was it my second year? Yeah, okay, it was my
0: mm-hmm. second year. Okay. Second year.
1: Yeah, so I don't know how that, why that happened or yeah. what, but I'm pretty sure Terry was gone by then.
0: Okay. Dave was
1: the head coach by then. What? May not have been. I, I thought he was,
0: though. Yeah. Well, you know, thank God you went back to Holy Houston. What? No,
1: what? No. You, no. That, that, you're right. That was before. Yeah, so what happened was, I remember now, Okay. So what happened was that's before I started scoring all those goals I told you about. Mm-hmm. I did get loaned before that. That's right. Okay. Because I, I ended up playing against Minnesota. One of the games I got two goals in where I didn't play much it was against Minnesota. Okay. And I remember talk, cause I remember that game. So I, did, I played for Minnesota three games. I went back to Houston. And that's when we, the Milwaukee thing happened. And then one of, the next game we played was against Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, we uh, Brian Fogarty was on the ice. Okay. Brian Fogarty. Yep. And it was the second period and Foggs wasn't on the ice. He was gone. So I leaned over at the face-off, and because I just played with these guys, I, said, I forget who I was talking to. I said, hey, where's Fogs? He goes, oh, he quit. <laughs> he just right in the middle of the game, he just left. He just, uh, he's sitting in the locker room. And I told you, this coach had no yeah. control. Wow. This coach had no control. So Fogs didn't like what was going on. Yeah. So he said, take his gear off. And the coach was like, where are you going? He goes, I quit. Wow. Well, what do you mean? I'm, just, I'm done. Took off all his gear and left.
2: Oh
0: my
1: God! <laughs> Jesus, I mean, this is that's hockey, man. This yeah, crazy stuff in hockey, and he was their best defenseman too. He Just said, "I'm out of here. I'm done."
0: Yeah, he was a scary <laughs> talent, so that's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, one guy that you played with in Houston that second year is a guy that uh, I, I'm a big fan of. Uh, going back to his days with uh, Quebec, and that's Gore Donnelly.
1: Yep, yeah. tough what? as nails, man. Gord yeah. Donnelly, another a great dude. I don't think he really wanted to be in Houston. He wanted to be in the NHL. But yeah, but it, it, it was what it was, and he, he made the best of it. But um, yeah, he, he was one of those guys again, took on all comers, and uh, and he, he's someone I hung out with quite a bit too. I used to, when I was working in the NHL with the Leafs, and had to do a lot of scouting. Um, I used to run into him at the rinks all the time. We'd mm-hmm. hang out. So yeah, just I still kind of kept in touch with him through hockey over the years. Haven't seen him since I left the NHL, but. But I always, always saw him every year at the different rinks around the country.
0: Um, and at the end of that season, uh, you were voted the IHL Man of the Year. How much did that mean to you?
1: It meant a lot because community service was always really important to me. And I, I got into community service kind of uh, through, through some compassion I, I had for a person who was trying to do his job and was getting, having a hard time. Our, our PR guy in Maine, um, my rookie year, came in the locker room one day. And he was asking for guys to sign up to do some charitable stuff. And the guys kind of like, they were teasing him, but they're like, you know, get the hell out of here, throwing stuff at him. And the guy left, he looked all dejected. So so um, I realized that his job was tough, trying to get guys to go do public appearances. So since I was a rookie, I had no girlfriend, nothing, I just, I went into his office after practice. I said, listen, Doug, I know you, you're getting a hard time from the guys. And listen, instead of coming in the locker room, if you ever have any any events you want anyone to do autograph signings you name it you just come and get me i'll do every single one of them mm-hmm. and we don't have to ask anybody and you know he says oh he's thanks a lot so i, I did every single one of the, the events and i just i enjoyed doing it so everywhere i went i told the pr guy if you need anybody to do anything you know i'm, I'm the guy my wife was always very supportive she encouraged me to do that yeah and so just uh, just did the same thing in Houston. I went to the PR guy, Dave Tagliarino said, listen, anything you need anyone to do, need me to do anything. I'm, I'll do whatever you want. And that's how that happened. And we built a, a strong relationship. So he, he, um, petitioned for me to win that award. It didn't mean a lot because, um, I think, I think it's important to use your, your status as a, as an athlete while you have it, you have that popularity. People will listen to you. Mm-hmm. So it's important that you use that status to, to do good things in the world. You know what I mean? So, yep. so like I, I kind of, you know, with all that's going on in hockey right now uh, and, yeah. and sports, you know, with the whole kneeling and stuff like that, I, I, I'm not sure. I still don't know how I feel about all that. Right. You know, especially with, with I know a lot of, I, I, one of my, one of my former students is, is in, is in, he's um an army ranger, special forces. Right. And mm-hmm. I think about him all, all the time. And so I, I'm so conflicted by um whether to kneel or stand and all that stuff. And, you know, me personally, I would stand, mm-hmm. but, um, and I'm not, and, don't, and people in, in the, you know, podcast world. I'm not judging anybody. I think yeah. every athlete should choose to do what they choose to do. But I'm just telling you that I w- I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so, but but people are pissed off at these athletes for taking a stand and then you know, telling them just to play basketball or football. But to me, it's almost you can't really do that because it's you can't have one without the other. You can't say that an athlete can't use a status to, to try and create social change and then at the same time say, okay, well, you can go and do a, a commercial for cancer or something, you know what I mean? Or or, or autism. You, they're using their their, their their fame to help push a cause, help somebody, help people. So if if, if I, I feel athletes should um, attach themselves to causes, whether it's um, healing diseases or, or, or social justice issues. It's whatever the athlete feels moves that person and you can't you know demean a guy for using it and uh, tell him to you know go dribble a basketball no I mean you got to use your status while while you can because once the once he's no longer able to dribble the basketball shoot a hockey puck nobody on the planet cares about him anymore or what he has to say you know or she has to say Mm -hmm. so you use it while you can and and then so that's why I I, I felt it was important for me to use my whatever you want to call it status or, or position to do good things and Mm -hmm. and and I wanted to do good things in my community which wherever I played was my community and I wanted to I wanted to make sure that I was always always helping out as much as I could so that's what that award meant to me and and, you know it was was nice to be acknowledged then I didn't need to be but it was nice it was nice to be acknowledged and and, and it meant a lot that I, I felt I helped a lot of people while I was in Houston so I feel really good about that
0: Well, I told a lot of people, you know, and it's, it's funny. It's always the, the physical players, the enforcer types that are always the most popular guys in the team. And a lot of guys that I I'm friends with, and a lot of guys who've been on this show have been uh, not even if they weren't acknowledged with an award like that. And again, it's not about being acknowledged, like you said, but it's always the guys, you know, the, the physical players, it seems like that really uh, not even so much do it because I have to do it, but do it because you want to do it. And, um, really like there's no telling just with the time that you spent um, even just and you're you were just talking about some real serious stuff but even just doing an autograph signing after a game or just going to a hospital or something seeing kids like at least at the very least in that moment you made someone's day and it <laughs> yeah. might have carried on You know, you never know. I mean, you never know. Someone could say, I met Graham Townsend once, and he took the time to talk to me, 10, 15 minutes. I was really inspired, whatever, and and now I'm doing this or whatever. So, like, at the very least, you put a smile on someone's face. But there's no telling, and I say this to a lot of guys, there's no telling how many people you may have influenced just by, you know, giving your time like that. And I really think, again, you're not doing it for, for the attention, but it's really something that should be commended. Well, you know, it's true because I remember
1: being a kid. A couple things that happened. I remember um, I played with a guy named um, uh, Todd Harkins. Mm-hmm. So I, we, were, we were both in our late 20s when I played with, with Todd. I think I was almost, I think I was 30. And uh, we were talking, he's from Cleveland, right? Mm-hmm. And one of his favorite players in baseball was uh, Pete Rose yeah. in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And he tells a story, okay? And this guy's in his late 20s, and he was almost choking up when he told me this story. I, I, so, this, so when he was a kid, Pete Rose came to cleveland right Mm -hmm. so he gets out there i guess for batting practice or something and he's leaning over the wall or whatever asking pete rose for his autograph and pete rose said something like get lost kid this was his favorite player yeah and he's telling the story and he's getting choked up he goes i hate pete rose ever since that day yeah it was was like this is like 15 years ago Mm -hmm. so that's the impact pete rose had on that one little boy yeah right so you never know right so so like and When I was a kid, um, I couldn't afford to go to Leaf games, so we used to go to Marley games.
2: Yeah,
1: did, that, that was the OHA team. And mm-hmm. They called the OHA. It's called the Toronto Marl Bros. Mm-hmm. Um, so we used to go to the games, and we used to, like the players, we'd come out after the game. We'd wait by the door where they'd come out, and we'd chase these guys all around Maple Yards to get their autographs. And they meant yeah. so much to us that Mark Napier stopped and gave me his autograph, you know, mm-hmm. Kevin Fine and uh, Mike Kitchen and Mike Palmateer. And, oh, by the way, Howie Meeker gave me yeah. his autograph. Like, yeah. All these guys and it just meant so much to me and my buddies. And I never kept the autographs. They were on ticket stubs. And, but at the time, as a child, it meant so much that these guys did that. You know, mm-hmm. I thought they were so cool. And I remember saying to myself, like, if I ever become a pro, I'm going to do that too.
0: Yeah. And, so,
1: and then I became a pro, and, of course, I did the same thing. If a kid asked for an autograph or an adult, whatever, right? and I, I would stand around and sign them for as long as they needed me to until I got everyone signed you yeah. know. It didn't matter how long it was. I, I was going to sign every autograph before I left.
0: That's great. That's great. I wouldn't because it would
1: be 10,000 people on autographs. So
0: yeah. for Graham Townsend, maybe 15 or 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it it's all relative. <laughs> so, so Graham, you have these three really good seasons in the IHL, and now next thing you know, you're in the, the Whipple, the Western Pro League, uh, and, and you put up monster numbers there. Uh, what how what happened that you decided to uh, to go to the Western Pro League
1: well, well so I, I hurt my shoulder um, in, in Houston so I knew I knew I had a I knew something was torn but the trainer refused to get me an MRI because you know yeah, there's a budgeting thing right he didn't want to pay for it yeah so so I played so what he did is I got shot up for the last three months of the season they, they, they shot me with some cortisone or whatever and I was able to play and then at the end of the playoffs um, we have to you, know, you have these exit. Uh, exit physicals mm-hmm. so at the exit physical you have to sign and say that you're 100 percent healthy because then that way you know they don't want you collecting workman's comp and all that stuff in the off season and so he wanted me to sign it. i go no i'm not signing that thing i my shoulder is something wrong with my shoulder i told you about this three months ago you refused to look into it and i played i didn't bitch about it but i'm not signing that thing until i get my shoulder looked at mm-hmm. so now they have the mri and what happens? Oh, it's a three. It's a one-inch tear in my rotator cuff. Oh, shit. So I have to have surgery. Mm-hmm. So I had surgery, and now I'm, I'm told I can't play until October. I have surgery in July. Mm-hmm. And so the Houston Arrows offered me a really crappy contract, half of what I was making, because I was hurt and I was yeah. desperate. So, so I, I was thinking about it. And then some guy approached me and talked to me about this Lake Charles team. Mm-hmm. And I had no desire to go there. I was going to use it as leverage to get Houston to give me more money. Right. And so um, they offered me a, a huge amount of money, dude. Like, like twice what I was getting it in Houston. I was like, How can you guys do that when you have a salary cap? And they go, Well, we got ways. And like they did all kinds of crazy things too.
2: They they had this deal with a grocery store chain. Yeah. And uh, they uh,
1: basically gave me a credit card mm-hmm. every week with like you know three hundred bucks on it, mm-hmm. and I could I could cash it in for cash or buy groceries. Yeah. So that's how they that paid me.
2: Yeah. And
1: then when you add it all up, it's like, it's like, holy smokes. I, they're, they're cheating like crazy. Yeah. Uh, and that, but I ended up taking that deal. And then later in the year, I went up and played in Houston for one game. Yep. For, I played for, for, Salt, for, for Utah first. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to finish the year with them. But what had happened was part of my deal with Houston, I mean, with Blake Charles, part of what I was being paid for was I had to start Cause they wanted to do a grassroots hockey program because that's how you you, you, you develop, develop the market right you have to, the whole league mandate was each team had to develop their market through youth hockey mm-hmm. so they wanted me to run the youth hockey programs because i've been doing my own hockey schools for many years at that point yeah so i had a hundred kids in the minor hockey program and it's mid-season and if i leave um, the program stops because I was running it. Yeah. So I felt bad about it. and decided not to leave and stay in Lake Charles. Mm-hmm. Then later on, I was on the road and my wife calls me. She says, you know, Dave Tippett's been trying to reach you. He wants you to come up and play in Houston tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? He's, he's been calling your coach and uh, he can't get through to you. So I went to my coach and said, hey, has Dave Tippett been calling you? He goes, yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't told you. Well, I didn't want you to leave. <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> said, that's my decision, man. So I said, you know what? I, I probably wouldn't have gone. But now that you did this, I'm going. Yeah. Because so he said he was afraid that once I got back with my old buddies yeah. that I was going to like it there and leave, which I could see why you would think that because that, that's probably true. Mm-hmm. So I went out there. I played my game. And sure enough, I was hanging out with you and all the guys. And Tipper wanted me to finish the year in Houston. Mm-hmm. And I was so tempted to go. But I, but my, my, my – my, the, the fact I made a commitment to this other team, yeah, to the town, you know, do you know what I mean? I just, yeah, like, if I was, like, I should have, maybe I should have thought of myself first and stayed in Houston, but I thought, now you know what? I made a commitment. These guys are relying on me. Playoffs are coming up. I'm not, I'm not going to do this to them. So I decided to stay in, stay in Lake Charles and mm-hmm. give up the chance to go to Houston again. So, yeah, that's how I ended it. And I decided I was going to commit to being a coach. And that's how I kind of got playing hockey out of my system. Mm-hmm. I made that decision. And then I I had one more year left on my contract and I I didn't really want to play anymore. So I wasn't having fun playing hockey anymore, but I had a contract. I had to honor it. And, um, you know, we had a deep run in the playoffs. We almost we almost ended up we almost got past the semifinals and uh, into the finals. So we had a really good run and and uh, I felt I did my job and helped that team. And that's when I decided to retire from hockey and um, and uh, become a coach
0: before you retired uh your second year with lake charles of course uh wphl man of the year so it's uh your second man of the year award in two different leagues again and it just again i'm sure sentiment is similar to the man of the year award in the ihl uh but i just wanted to uh put that out there again so people understand i mean obviously your character has really come through in this episode so i think people know by now but i did want to uh i did want to bring that up so you turn the coaching and I, I want to ask you about a few of the guys and, and thank you for your time. You've given me a tremendous amount of time. I love this. I really do. I wish it would never end. Uh, but if you don't mind, I want to ask you about a few guys that you coached uh, and get yep. your opinion on them. If, uh, if you don't mind. So um, with, with Macon, the Macon whoopie, one of the greatest names ever in, uh, in professional sports, <laughs> um, you coached the guy. I don't know if he's related to Gary, but you coached the guy named Phil Volk who put yep. up, in insane. Brother. I mean insane numbers. Uh in the first year it was uh four hundred and fifty six penalty minutes in sixty-five games. Then he played yep. eight games in the playoffs, had fifty-five more. Uh yep. so on that team you had Phil, you had Andrew Rogers, Chris Broussard, Todd McIsaac, and Mark McFarland. Uh what do yep. you think about that group of guys?
1: Okay, let me tell you about that team. I I that's that was my first year coaching. Mm-hmm. And and the way I got that job is remember I told Terry I was going to score twenty goals. Yeah, I told that owner at my interview, my first interview. I've never been interviewed for a coaching job before in my life, and I actually actually said this to him. Mm. I go, uh, I understand you guys have owned the team for four years, and they said, yeah. I said, and, and I understand you're really upset that you've never won a playoff round. Yeah, really. And the reason I knew that is Dave Tippett told me to to research the team. Yeah. And so I did all my research. I got all these newspaper articles. And I, and I, and the theme was in the newspaper articles that the owners were really upset about not ever winning a playoff round. So I said, if you hire me, I guarantee you will win at least one playoff round. And mm-hmm. mind you, I've never coached before in my life. I don't even know <laughs> how I'm going to do this. So so I after the meeting ended, I walked back to the hotel thinking, oh, man, I just screwed that up, and, you know, being too cocky. I get to the room and the. And the and the, the phone, the little light on the phone's on. I, I call it. I, I get my message, and it's the general manager says, he want to talk to me again at the, at the rink. So I, go, I walk back to the rink. They offer me the job. They said they go, you know why we offered this job to you? I said, I don't have a clue. Yeah. They go, because you're the only guy that came in and had the balls to, to guarantee a playoff. So we, we <laughs> want to see this happen. So I go back to the hotel. I call my wife. I say, honey, I've got good news and bad news. She goes, okay, well, what's the good news? I said, well, I got the job. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm so proud of you. This is great. And she like, what's the bad news then? I said, well, the bad news is I, I guarantee the first round playoff victory and I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> so that, that's, how, that's how it's set up. So now mm-hmm. if I'm going to do this, I have to start with one important piece, and that's a leader. Yeah. And I played against Phil Volk, and he was in, in Corpus Christi the year before, and he was a freaking leader. Mm-hmm. He was a warrior. Not only was he a warrior, a beast, but he was a really good player. Mm-hmm. So I had to get Phil Vault. Mm-hmm. So that's the first guy that I signed.
0: Nice. And I
1: it took some getting used. Like I was giving Phil whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. I want this. I want that. Hey, dude, whatever you want, I'll give you anything you need. Yeah. And I got Phil there. First piece. That was the most important piece of the puzzle is having that guy. Okay, the leader. And and the thing is, I never ever told my tough guys to fight. Ever. Mm-hmm. Never said to. Never said to. Told them to fight. Um, so I get this kid. I, I want this kid, named Chris Brassard, mm-hmm. to come back. He was a goal scorer, and the guys told me he was a pussy. I said, I don't care. I don't, it doesn't matter if he's a pussy. I'm going to have like five or six tough guys. No one's going to touch this kid, right? So I try to get uh, Chris to come back. He goes, No, I'm not. I don't play. I don't want to play. I'm going to play in Europe. So he goes to Europe, and the season starts in August there, right? So by by the end of September, he wants to come back to to, to make, and so I bring him back right in time for the first. The first road game. We're playing the toughest team in the league. It's the team that I built my team to compete against. The Huntsville Channel Cats. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, so we're going to – they have like four or five guys on their team, and it's going to be a war, okay? This guy, Chris Broussard, goes out for his first shift. He, now, he's a goal scorer, okay? Mm-hmm. He grabs the toughest guy on their team and beats him to a pulp so bad that I was mad that he did that to the guy. It's not – not very nice you don't need to beat a guy up that bad what was that all about yeah and so, he, so after the game i go i go i go chris what the hell was that he goes well i heard you like tough team so i thought you wanted me to fight i said no dum yeah. dumb, <laughs> you gotta score how are you gonna score if you're in the freaking penalty box at the beginning? i got four or five guys to take care of the you know gurs and all those guys you know i don't want you fighting them yeah and said, "By the way, why would you be so bad?" Because well, I don't It's so you wanted me to do it. I said, "No, I don't want you to fight anymore." <laughs> well, the kid wouldn't stop fighting, I and mean, he's scoring goals. He said he scored 35 goals for me that year, mm-hmm. made the all-star team, and everything. But he's sniping; he's just going crazy. So, so, so all the pieces are falling into place, but we, but well, we can't seem to beat this one team, the Fayetteville Force. They beat mm-hmm. us every game practically. I think we beat them twice in regulation out of 12, 12 attempts. Yeah. And one of the reasons they couldn't beat us is they're two goalies played the puck unreal like they'd get the puck in the zone they could fire a rocket pass to the far blue line on the tape every time so i need a i need a player because i was running low on guys guys were hurting stuff and suspended and whatnot so i get this guy named andrew rogers and he's a tough guy but i don't really care if he fights or not he's just there to fill a jersey for me just to i really don't care if he fights i got enough so i tell so but but but, but i never ever ever my tough guys played i never yeah. ever like, my tough guys were on the power play. Mm-hmm. They were killing penalties. I used to tell them, "If you're gonna, I'm going to let you play, but if you take a freaking penalty, you know, a dumb penalty um, on a PK, you'll never see the PK again. If you're on the power play and a defenseman cross checks you in the head mm-hmm. and you turn around and whack them, you'll never see the power play again. I'm giving you the chance because of all the stuff you do, five on five. And I appreciate it. I'm going to give you extra minutes, but don't F it up. Mm-hmm. So that's the message, okay? So I, I put, I've told Drew, you're on the third line, dude, you're, you're going to play. So... His his lines coming up next. I, I yell up the line, "Hey Andrew, you're going up next with so and so," and so the puck gets dumped down into their into their end, and you know, so so like we're about a hundred feet away. He gets on the ice. Their goalie comes out to play it. Drew skates 120 feet full speed and runs the goalie, <laughs> Sticks, pads, jock, friggin' testicles fly everywhere. Okay, <laughs> he's he he just creates a ga- He creates a yard sale, and uh, the goalie gets taken off on a stretcher. Wow. So we, had, we ended up winning the game. So after the game, I go, I go, Drew, I want to see you in my office right away. Because I'm not really big on running goalies like purposely, right? I'll, I'll run into a goalie kind of on purpose by accident, you know? Right. But yeah. this was beaten man. So I pull him in my office, and I'm pissed. I go, what the hell was that? He goes, well, and, and he's all, I'm yelling at him. He's all calm, right? He goes, uh, well, I was right, driving the game to the game with Peter Robertson, and I asked him, you know, who were the tough guys on this team? And he said, "Well, they don't have any tough guys. None of them will fight. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, but the the problem is their goalie is so good that we, you know, he plays the puck so well, and we can't beat them because of the goaltending. So he, so he goes. So I thought I'd run him and put him out of the game. And I'm like, (laughs) so, so my my jaws drop, and I'm I'm going, well, uh, yeah, well, okay, yeah, it worked. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't I didn't agree with him doing that, but it worked, right? Yeah. So the next game." This goalie wouldn't come out of his net to play the fuck anymore. <laughs> and, and so we we faced these guys in the first round, and we go on the in their barn, beat them five two the first night. We lost one nothing in a quadruple overtime game in which we hit several crossbars and goal posts and could have won it easily, but they got lucky. We beat them five nothing in game three, and we beat them three one in game uh, in game uh, four, yeah. finished them off. Nice. So I delivered on my promise, but. Drew, I owe Drew Andrew Rogers. Yeah, Phil Hulk, Chris Broussard, Todd McIsaac. Oh my God, Todd McIsaac. That guy refused to lose. We were down one nothing after one in the in the deciding game, and he 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 yelled at his teammates in intermission because he didn't think we were playing hard enough. And what he do? He goes, he pulls a Messi. He goes out and scores two goals to make sure we win. <laughs> you know, he <laughs> no, no he not only he, he not only uh you know spoke it, but he did it. You know what yeah. I mean? He, the guys, and then went out and friggin' did it himself. You know, mm-hmm. that's the kind of guys I had on that team, and that was that was the most fun year of hockey I'm serious that I've ever been in, whether playing or coaching. That was the most fun year I've ever had, and it's the best group of guys I ever coached. Yeah. Um, by far, not taking the thing away from Sean Pete and the guys out there, Pete, if you're listening, I love you too, but but that year, you know, was was my best year. It was the most fun year I ever had coaching. It was great.
0: Well, the next year, you certainly earned your money because I counted. You had 58 players played at least one game in 2000, 2001 for Macon. Is that yeah. right? Yeah,
1: that was a that was a terrible year. That's the year where I didn't have the guts to stand up to my owner. Yeah. Um. So I, had, I we we were in first place when this started. Okay. So we're, in, we're we go into Memphis, and um, tough, tough place to play. We split them. I think we won one in, we won one in regulation and lost in the shootout. So that put us in first place. Okay. So imagine now I'm, I'm it's Monday morning. I've put together a really good team. I'm really happy I'm in first place Monday morning he my owner my GM comes into me and says I got to get rid of my best player because at the time he wasn't producing but keep in mind I told him to keep in mind that this guy was uh, retired from hockey yeah his name is Keith Osborne he okay. was working at, he was working at a blackjack table when I pulled him out of the blackjack room and say hey, come back and play hockey right. so he was just starting to get into shape yeah and he was under a point of game but I said listen by the end of the year this guy's gonna be a point of game You're not, you don't have to worry about this guy mm-hmm. and and he was making a lot of money and but I, like I said, I don't care how much money he makes because I'm actually under salary cap yeah. and I'm not even seating. And I put together a team under budget and you're bitching at me? Well, yeah, we're losing money, blah, blah, blah. I said, I said, well, that's not my fault. You told me if I put together a really good team, you could fill the stands. Yeah. So we're in first place. It can't get any better than that. I'm sorry. So the fact that we're not drawn is your fault, not mine. Right. He says, well, you got to get rid of them or else. I said, or else what? He goes, you know what I mean. I like, so now I get scared. I'm gonna lose my job. Yeah, I shouldn't have listened to him. I should have just let him fire me. But um, I I got this guy. Yeah. Well, the problem is he's a veteran player played a little bit in the NHL. Yeah. And I a young team, all these young guys see this guy get cut. So guess what? Now all of a sudden they're all making sawdust out of their hockey sticks, playing playing tight and scared. Yeah. And we went right to last place within a month. Uh. And that's where, we're... and then then of course they didn't re-sign me the mm-hmm. next year. Yep. So lesson, you can't listen. You got to do what you think is right, but regardless of what your boss says, you got to do what you think is right. And I wish I had done that. I wish I had the, had the courage not to think of myself and my, you know, losing my job. And I just, thought I, I, there was a gutless act, uh, play on my part. And it would have, even if I got fired, it would have made it look like an idiot firing a first place coach, right? So I didn't think that far ahead, and it destroyed my team. You know, and, and then we went right down the tubes from there. And that's when I kind of. That's when I decided I really didn't want to coach anymore. After that, I coached for one more year, mm-hmm. and I hated the um, that side of hockey. Yeah, where the owners interfere, and and it's it's not about coaching and about you know I just got sick of the, that that political struggle. Yeah, and decided I did not want to be a coach anymore. I, I I don't want to have to answer to any of these clowns. You know, we know, we know nothing about the game, and and uh, and and put you through that crap. I just didn't any coach that can handle that. They, I I I I bowed out of them. You know, yeah. I I just can't
0: do it you know well you've been very generous with your time i am just going to tell you i got six more questions for you then you're free to go uh okay. i want to talk about how the game a lot of times comes full circle and in your last two years of coaching you had an old friend there with you in macon at greensboro and that's a guy we spoke about about four hours ago and that's ryan kumu
1: yeah i brought coombs um out of retirement from from europe he was playing in europe and um you know i needed a confidant someone that i that i could trust and um so he came to macon and um did a great job for us but then he he ended up coming to greensboro and um what happened was i was under a lot of pressure in greensboro so um there's one game where alex godinyuk was my assistant coach and mm-hmm. and you know the thing is i never wanted people to think that i was playing favorites because ryan was my one of my best friends but 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 I wanted to be very clear and I was clear with him and he understands this. I said, when, when we get to, to work, right, you're no longer my best friend. You're just another player. Yeah. Right. And there's expectations. And so, so I kept true to my word. We're, mm-hmm. we're in uh, a dust of playing a game. And, and Alex came down to me and said, Hey, you know, Graham Ryan's playing horrible, man. He won't listen to me. Yeah. I said, well, and so it's the middle of the game, right? I said, well, then, then bench him. Mm-hmm. So he benched him. So after the game, two was pissed because I don't think he's been benched in like 15 years. Yeah. And he says to me, he's all upset, right? And instead of talking about it, he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go home. I said, okay, see ya. <laughs> I think he wanted me to try to make him stay. I said, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Take off. See you later. Yeah. So he ended up leaving. And I, and I didn't say about him or nothing. I was pissed at him. I, I was not going to talk to him ever again. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, of course, my wife intervenes you know, several months later. and says, listen, man, this guy is one of your closest friends. You're going to let that ruin your relationship. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I decided my wife was right. And I'm not yeah. going to let hockey ruin it. You know, it's, it's just business. And like I said, at the rink, it's business. Away from the rink, we're friends. And so I wasn't being true to my word there, right? Yeah. I was holding I was holding it against them. Yeah. So I called them up and apologized, you know, for the way I, I acted. And, you know, and uh, we just we just decided to put it behind us. And, you know, we went right back to being good friends again. And I, just, uh, I was hanging out with him last year at his house. So, yeah. so that's the thing. I mean, I, I just... Again, bringing a, bringing a friend is not always a good idea, but, but uh, it worked out the first year. It just didn't work out the second year, you know, I when I had, to, I had to be his boss and punish him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, how, how did you uh, start Townsend Hockey?
1: It started a long time ago. Um, it, it actually, when I was playing for CDI, um, mm-hmm. Rick Haber up. Uh, Rick Hay- Hayward was a real entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and so after my first year there, he asked me and Dino to help him do a hockey school. Mm-hmm. And then the next year he left, right? So mm-hmm. there was this void. Now I didn't intend to do a hockey school, but my son started playing hockey that year, yeah. and um, I'd, got, I'd gotten on the ice to run a practice one day, and the parents liked what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So, that, so one mother who's kind of like every every team has a, has the hockey mom who, who yep. you know is really busy and gets things done. So she asked me to do a hockey school, and I said no. I have no interest in doing hockey school. And I said. I told her. I said, I don't want to. I don't like dealing with parents, man. You guys, you guys are kind of a pain. And <laughs> I worked for a guy at hockey schools for years, and I saw what he went through with all the parents. And I said, I I don't want to do that. Yeah. And so um, she kept on bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. And finally, I ran into a guy that I'd worked with. Um, he was a student at the hockey school I worked at. Then he became a he became a junior counselor. Yeah. He was walking out of the rink as I was walking with my son, and he said, and, and during the conversation, he said, you know, you should do a hockey school. So now this is a second person that's told me I should do a hockey school. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do one, but I needed help, right? So I I I, I solicited the help of this guy. His name is Ron. Mm-hmm. He knew the cyst that I was teaching because he was a student in it. And then he was also um, uh, a junior counselor. So we 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 bonded we we formed a a, a, a group together. We called it the uh, GTR hockey institute or power skating institute. Mm-hmm. So G-T, meaning Graham Townsend and Ron. Mm -hmm. And so we started that, and it was a huge success. And then Ron decided to go on his own, which kind of really pissed me off, to be honest with you, because we built the market. And then once it got built, he said, I'm doing it on my own. So he went on his own, Mm -hmm. and I I formed the Graham Townsend Professional Hockey School, so G-T-P. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I got into coaching, I had no time to do it anymore, so I I closed the school down. And then when I got the job with San Jose – um, a friend of mine, a guy who became a friend of mine, wanted me to work with his son. He found out that I was the San Jose Sharks skating coach was living in Maine, mm-hmm. and this guy's from Maine. He, he he hired me to, to work with this kid, and encouraged me to do a hockey school. So I, I did a hockey school called um, Graham Townsend's National Hockey Development, mm-hmm. and then that went under because it was a partnership, and our partnership dissolved. So then I decided to start Townsend Hockey back in two thousand eight. Okay, so. We've been Townsend we've been hockey since 2008. And then we just kind of evolved into a boarding camp. And, you know, we do day camps and clinics all over the country and stuff like that. And so that's kind of how it started. I'm doing a hockey school business now since I think it was like 1992, maybe. Yeah. 94, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. Um, 2006, you're inducted into the Canadian Black Hockey Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's quite an honor. I mean, honestly, you look at the people in there. I mean, these are guys I looked up to my whole life. Um, Ray Neufeld, um, you know, Willie O'Ree, of course, Herb Carnegie, you know, so the Mike Mars and Tony McKenzie. So it was, it was a great honor to, to, to receive that distinction. You know, I've never been in a Hall of Fame of anywhere, so it's kind of neat to, to that, they, that they thought of me and, and included me into the inaugural
0: um, group of, of people. So, yeah, I'm very, very proud of that. That's great. I didn't know it was the inaugural class. That's even better.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. And um, so yeah, Anson Carter was in that group as well. Yeah. So yeah, it was quite an honor to be included in that group.
0: Well, I was hoping you were the best skater in the group, but then you mentioned Anson's name, so I know you're a great <laughs> skater. But that guy has wheels. Jeez.
1: Yeah, I, I can't. I can't. I can't hold oh. that guy's dog strap, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just Come remember up. the first time I saw him play live. I think he was in Portland, and I couldn't. Be- I mean, this guy skated like the wind
1: yeah yeah he was he was a great he had tremendous skill too obviously oh yeah so yeah he was a great player
0: um 2014 you were named the head coach of the jamaican men's national hockey team uh (laughs) what is the status of that right now
1: okay so i i left that that first group it's called the uh, jamaican olympic ice hockey federation i left that group and the reason i did was um I just didn't see any forward movement, like anything that we did, we, 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 had, a, we had a game in Halifax against the Halifax uh, All-Stars, which was a bunch of guys from um, uh, the Quebec Major League and all that stuff. We had kids from the OHL and Tier 2 hockey, so we went up there and played a game, it was televised regionally, it was a great event, and um, I, wanted to take it, I wanted to take advantage of that momentum, and the group was just slow and moving, right, and... And so there's a lot of philosophical differences that we had. My, my main focus is I want to uh, serve the youth of Jamaica. I want to give kids an opportunity to play the game and eventually come to the U.S., attend prep schools and then attend college and on scholarships, do athletics, and then go back to Jamaica and, and make their mark. You know what I mean? That's my goal. Yeah. Um, to get to the Olympics, it's going to probably take 50 years or more. Honestly, mm-hmm. like, realistically, it's going to take that long. To get there okay mm-hmm. i won't be alive when that happens if or when that happens so i'm not focusing on the olympics they are yeah they don't understand it they really believe that they're going to get there in their lifetime and you know maybe i i don't i don't see it and the reason i don't see it is because you have to have a rink built first mm-hmm. you have to start a youth hockey program which you can build up a really good youth hockey um program in it, probably in 10 years and have some really good players Players that are good enough to play in the NHL one day, probably do it in 15 years. Like like I look at Dallas. I remember when hockey in Houston started, and, and then Dallas and people down there were saying, hey, one day you're going to see an NHL player from here. And, and I think it took about 20 years before you saw the first. And I think that guy was a guy's name from L.A. Kings, um, who scored the winning goal against the Rangers years ago. Oh. Um, Martinez. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he's from Dallas. I think he was one of the first guys to make it, right? So, so you look at that. When did they win that cup? I think he's won a pool for what eight years, maybe.
0: About yeah, I would say so.
1: So, so let's just say he makes it to NHL in 2012. Uh, when I was in Houston in the let's say let's just say he started playing and in, in the state it took him probably ten. It took about ten years for them to develop their first NHL player. Maybe 12 years. Yeah. So that's down to tons of money. Yeah. Right. Jamaica, we're gonna if, if we get a rank, let's say we can do it in 10 years. Mm. Right. So when the rink is built, we're looking at within the next five to ten years, we'll have a rink, right? So we're talking 2030, right? Then once the rink is built, you have to have a youth hockey program. Then you have to get approved by the IIH, you have to become a full member. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, you can start playing in uh, international tournaments. Well, we have to start up in Division Three and work our way up have to three 3B, 3A, 2B, 2A, 1B, 1A, and then finally the championship division, mm-hmm. which is Canada, the Russians, and the U.S., no, you have to win the championships at every single level first, then you have to get into the championship division and, and hope that you stick around long enough during an Olympic year, or before, you know what I mean. So, yeah. so what happened? Like Great Britain was in Great Britain um, won a gold medal back in like 1936, but they were all Canadian guys on their team, right? And they hadn't been in the Olympics since. Well, they just get to, they finally get to division the top division this year. So if, if so, let's just say when the next Olympic games? Uh, 2002, I think. Don't so they'd, they'd have to finish in the top 12 to 2020, 2021. If they were able to accomplish that, then they'd be at 2022 Olympics. Yeah. That's taking Great Britain. You know, <laughs> they've been at the for 100
0: years. Yeah, yeah. So what makes them think they're going to get there in the next 20? So I'm thinking,
1: let's help the kids. So that's why I left and then we formed a new group um, that's more focused on grassroots. and and more focused on on the plan that I just I just described, mm-hmm. and um and we're all hockey guys. And the other group had no hockey people in it whatsoever. Yeah. And um, is a couple parents and their kid, and so we formed a group with some like like Matt Sherers, uh remember his, his brother um, Jay,
0: Jay. Yeah. and Jay is going to run our fishing fishing department. Yep. And We got Matt Sharers who played professionally.
1: And we've got all hockey guys. Yeah. You know, and understand the game and, and understand business. So that's why we we all we, we were all involved with the other group before too. We all we all just left. So that's what's going on there now. I'm not the coach. I'm I'm a director, and I'll probably be the coaching director. And CJ Ballers will be the head coach. I may I may go on the bench and help him as an
0: assistant, but I'm, I'm not going to be the head coach anymore. I got you. Um, I'm both in the development stuff. I got you. Um, So, like, we talked about how the game has changed and everything, and whenever I see a young kid that plays the way that I like the way the game is played, I always take notice, and nowadays they stand out more because the game, to me, is so vanilla. When you get a kid that plays, that spices it up a little bit, like you say, they stand out. And one kid that caught my eye a couple of seasons ago is a kid from Jamaica named Jermaine Lowen. Is he someone that you're going to keep an eye on? Absolutely.
1: I got to tell you, man, I, I... That, that, that kid, Mark Edwards, he's going to play in the NHL,
0: okay? Mm.
1: Everywhere he's gone, he's faced all these challenges, right? He's always been at the bottom of the pile. And then he, he, he's finally emerged and, and rise to the top. He's always done it everywhere he's gone. So, yeah, he's a kid that uh, was in an orphanage in Jamaica. And a family from, a couple from Manitoba went down to be like, be like kind of missionaries and help out at the orphanage. And they saw him yeah. and fell in love with Jermaine. So they brought him to Canada. And he, I think he started playing hockey around 10, which is the same age I started playing. Yeah. Like organized hockey. Mm-hmm. And he worked his way up. He got drafted by the Kamloops Blazers. Yeah. Went on to become the captain and had a great career there. First Jamaican-born player drafted in, in the NHL. The Dallas Stars drafted him. Yeah. And he's now, he's played a little bit for the Rockford Ice Hogs, which is mm-hmm. Chicago's team. But he, and he's, he's up and down between the American League and the, and the East Coast League. Yeah. So once this kid learns the game, mm-hmm. the pro game, the next step is full time American League spot, and then once he gets there, he'll he'll learn that game and he'll be in the NHL. So, yeah. so he'll be the he'll be the second Jamaican born player in the NHL, and I can't wait for that to
0: happen. I'm so excited. Yeah. No. I, like I said, I enjoy watching this kid play. He's a hard worker. He's not afraid to scrap, and he's got some skill too. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it also. So I figured I figured he was on your radar, but uh, you know why not give the kid a plug anyway, right? Absolutely, you know. Mark, mark my
1: words. Jermaine Lowen will play in the National Hockey League. I, I read an article about him years ago. My sister sent it to me because it was a Canadian newspaper, and I, I reached out to to the um, to the journalist, and uh, he connected me with the family. So I've been in touch with the family on and off for the past probably five or six years.
0: That's excellent. So yeah, um, you know, we've spoken. Now we've hit the four hour mark, which is unbelievable to me. Thank you. But uh, the big news that I'm I'm happy to say here. Uh, that you've decided to write a book and, and if, and if you people have found this interview interesting, I can't even imagine how great the book is going to be. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, what made you decide to write a book?
1: Well, all that's going on now in the world, um, especially in hockey, it's a little
0: bit about what I talked about before.
1: And so um, the whole thing with Akeem Alou last year um, made me really think. And so I started thinking about my, my coach and, and I, I actually know Bill Peters. Mm-hmm. And The one thing is, um, although I do, I do, I would like to see, um, like, like, so so what I did is I I first looked up the word racism, okay, because it's being used a lot, right, it's thrown around a lot, and I decided to look up what does it actually mean, okay, and I'm paraphrasing now, but basically it means a a person who feels, who thinks that their race is superior to another race, and therefore treats the other race accordingly, you understand, Mm -hmm. so like, So you 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 have to so to be a racist you have to think that you are you're racist superior. I don't believe that when a guy calls me the n-word in a hockey game, I really don't believe that he thinks he's superior to me. He might, right. but I don't think he does, okay? Mm-hmm. I think he's just pissed off and he's being a, he's being a jerk. Yeah. Okay? So mm-hmm. so that's one thing. And I know and I know Bill, okay? I, I'm yeah. say what you want about him, but I can, only, I can only respond based on how he treated me okay, mm-hmm. and, um, and how the hockey – and I understand how the hockey world works. I don't believe it's a systemic issue. Right. I'll get on to – I think about it all later in a second. But, but Bill Peters has always been good to me. He ran a youth hockey program in San Antonio, Texas, and he could have picked any skating coach or, or, or hockey school guy to come and work with his kids, but he chose me. And we worked together closely for about two years, and then finally he went back to Canada, um, started his coaching career with Mike Babcock. And so I do believe he said what he said in the locker room, hundred percent. I believe he was a complete jerk for saying it. And in fact, if he said it to me, it wouldn't have been a nice conversation. It would have been, uh, it would have been an aggressive situation. Yeah. Um, I don't believe for one split second, unless he, someone can show me proof, I don't believe that he called the black ops and said, get rid of this guy, because I know all hockey works. Um, if you're an asset to a team, and I can prove, I, I mean, Josh Hosang is a great example. The Islanders are bent over backwards. I don't know if you know this, but they, they, they brought me in
0: to mentor him. Oh, right? I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that.
1: When they came John uh, Ledecky came to me and asked me to work with the
0: kid because they really wanted to see him succeed. See, yeah. people
1: don't know that. People don't know that. They went out of their way. I went and met with Josh many times, had dinner with him, tried to get to know him and tried to get, you know, figure out what, what makes him tick. The Islanders did that.
2: You know? yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. We knew that for any, any other player, but they did, and I worked with with Eric Cairns, and we're trying to work with you know, Nate Thompson, trying to get this kid, um, um, that, that's not Nate Thompson, what's the coach's name?
0: And, Brent and, Thompson. And, Brent. Sorry,
1: Brent's son. Yep. So Brent Thompson, we, we, uh, you know, Matt Cartner, I used to work with him in San Jose, and yep. we all talked we all worked so hard to help Josh become successful, so he's not being treated because the way he's being treated because he's black, he's being treated the way he is because of the results or lack thereof. You understand what I'm saying? Like, he can't blame color for this. Right. Because I know they tried everything they could. I'm not trying to... I'm not... I've been hired by them. I, I volunteered to do it. It wasn't like I was hired by them either. I'm not being paid by the others. I did it because I wanted to help the kid. Right. So I don't believe that they just got rid of the guy because Bill Peters said to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like, they're not going to listen to their American League coach. Honestly. It's going to be like, Shut up and work with the kid and figure it out. That's how these teams talk to their coaches. So, so then he went to another. I've been sent down, down, down and like everybody else. I know it wasn't the kind of guy was black. You talk to all the, the team They all say good things about me, don't they? Right? They all they all they all, they all got my back. They all, if, they, if there was this major race racial animosity in Michigan, hockey, why would all those guys say other things about me? Like, there's a
0: Wait, Definitely. hey, hey, Graham! Hold on a second, because you're yep. you you got all glitched out here. Okay. Oh, now I can hear you're perfect.
1: Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, so I don't I don't believe that there's a systemic racial issue in hockey. I do believe there's there's race there's racist comments being made, but I don't believe the game of hockey is racist. I don't believe it's being run by racists. I mm-hmm. think that society has a problem, yeah. um, being tolerant of other other people that are different than than you, and yeah. that's the problem. So, so that's why I decided to write the book i i want i want to I, I want the other side of the issue uh, to be expressed and yeah. and there's a lot of other black athletes that think the same way i do I, mm-hmm. I talked to Ray Newfeld about this, and he yeah. feels the same way I do yeah you know, I, I feel i, I want to stand up for the game of hockey I want to protect the game because it's it's a great game it's done tremendous things for my life and tremendous things for a lot of other black players mm-hmm. um you know, and, and, and I just don't I don't believe that there's a problem in hockey. There are more black players or people of color in hockey now than there ever was. Mm-hmm. Way more. Yeah. I think when I played, you could literally count the number of um, people of color on one hand. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah. And now, you know, there, I don't even. there's probably 30 or 40 guys in the league now. So how, yeah. how can you say that it's a racist league? If it was a racist league, they would not allow black players to play. Hockey was racist mm-hmm. back in the, you know, in the, in the Willie O'Ree days where they literally could not let a black guy play because they didn't think we were intelligent enough or whatever to play the game. Yeah. And they, you know, that was definitely a problem. And even in the seventies when Mike Mars and, and, and Bill Roddy played, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure they were, they were given a lot of grief from the opposing players, but I don't think that that problem is still there today. The Mm -hmm. way, the way it was back in the seventies and maybe even in the early eighties or so, but, it certainly isn't, isn't, uh, and I, and I, and I didn't, I had very isolated issues in my career mm-hmm. and I know it's because the guys were racist as they were pissed off at because maybe yeah. was, I was hard on them. They were hard on me. And that's the best way to get me mad and hurt my feelings is to call me a name, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> call yeah. me
1: a jerk and make me feel bad. If you call me that, it's going to hurt my feelings pretty, you know, and that's what they were trying to do. Hurt my feelings <laughs> and, and it worked because I let it work, mm-hmm. you know? So that's why I want to write the book and I want, I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, kind of, kind of demonstrate how my life has prepared me to think this way, and prepare it, and how my experiences have prepared me to to see it the way I do. I'm not coming down on Akeem and all those guys. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not. Um, they have a right to their opinion, mm-hmm. and but, but I don't think that, um, you know, that they should be demanding that the NHL do this and that. The NHL is trying to, is trying to address the issue. They hired Kim Davis and the whole department dedicated to this. It's not just it's not just an act. They're really trying to, to make the game better for everybody. I don't believe it just, it's just, it's just um, you know, um, I don't believe it's, it, I believe it's, it's truly sincere, you know, that they, yeah. what, what, what they do. So,
0: well, listen, I am really excited for this, to be honest with you. This is, uh, I think the book's going to be, I think you're going to get a lot of attention from the uh, from both sides here, people that agree with you, people that disagree with you, I know you're going to withstand anything. And I mean, I'm the little mom and pop podcast compared to some of the bigger guys, but I am more than happy to, to help you out any way I can, uh, promote the book, help you with anything. If, uh, if you need my help, you know, you got my number, just reach out to me. I am really, really excited for this project I, I, and I'll help you promote it in any way I can. Um, the last thing I ask every one of my guests is, is there anything that I forgot about the, the career of Graham Townsend uh, uh, hockey journey of Graham Townsend that I forgot to ask that you'd like to say?
1: No, just uh, actually just that um, I, I appreciated the opportunity to play the game that I love and, and make a living from it. Um, I, I, um, I think, I think the thing I missed the most out of hockey is the, the, uh, the, the relationships with my teammates and, yeah. and the camaraderie. I mean, that's, that's the thing I missed the most, but, but, um, you know, outside of that, I just, I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to play the game. And I'm really grateful that I have the chance to talk to you about, about it, that, that people even care. You know, that, that's a special thing. And honestly, it's like, you know, you, don't, you, don't, you can't take that lightly. The fact that people even care to, to hear about you, um, it, it, it's, really, it's really touching and means a lot to me. So, so that's why I just want to express my gratitude to all those who are listening and all those who supported me over the years, teammates, coaches, fans, uh, certainly my family. And um, I wouldn't be where I am today without all you people. Even, even, the, even the, some of the negative stuff that happened, it, it just made me who I am today. And, um, and for anything negative that happened in the past, um, please forgive me and I forgive you. And uh, that's pretty much it.
0: Dude, this was absolutely incredible. Um, I, I am so thrilled to, to finally get you on here. It was worth the wait. And uh, other than that, I will just say, uh, dude, thank you so much for all this time. And uh, keep in touch and have a great day. Right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You too. Thanks, Graham. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thanks again to Graham Townsend. That was an unbelievable chat. Uh, I've said it, that this may be the most important interview I've ever done, uh, more so for the the off-the-ice stuff. Um, There's a lot of shit going on in the world right now. And uh, to get someone's perspective like Graham, who's been through a lot of shit in his career and in his life, uh, means a lot to get that voice out there, and um from my point of view, Graham gets it like he I, I, he just really gets it uh the way that he 's handled himself, the way that he 's handled these particular incidents, the way that he wants them handled, the way that he doesn 't feel that outside forces need to get involved, that he just wants to handle like a man to me that means a lot and uh man oh man this was uh, this was a good one for me, and I hope that you people enjoyed it as much as I did um co- going forward this week uh coming up uh it will be another season's episode i haven't decided yet who i'm going to feature uh but i have a few interviews coming down the pike one that i'm uh really hopeful for i'm going to uh try to do some advanced technology and you know that really probably advanced should be in quotes because i don't think it's very advanced it's probably very simple but for me it's advanced uh, try to do something a little different. And then, uh, another guest that I've been, uh, speaking to over the last few months, uh, said that this time of year might be best for him. So I could have some, uh, some good ones coming down the pike for you. I hope so. Hope everything comes to fruition. And, um, other than that, just stay tuned. Uh, next week I'll have a seasons episode for you. And, uh, if there's any suggestions, uh, you know, hit me up on Twitter and let me know. And if it's possible, uh, I'll try to make it happen. Have a great week, everybody.